five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Thursday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Here we are on this Thursday morning, December the 21st, day number nine in the month of Teves. Tomorrow's a fast day, a Serb Teves on a Friday. And we're in Jerusalem. Today we broadcast from the Inbal Hotel. And again, the Inbal has given us the most beautiful accommodations, gorgeous meeting room that's serving as our studio today, and I thank them very, very much. So Ronnie, the uh, manager this morning, let him know how incredible his staff, as they always are, have been. This particularly is a is a much longer trip for us than usual, and they have been even more helpful than usual, which is hard to believe, but they have been, and I thank them very, very much. Um, it is a day 76 of the war, and um, there's a lot to talk about today. Here at JM in the AM, there's no question that um, being here gives one a much closer, a much closer look and a much better perspective as to what our brothers and sisters here in Israel are going through. The um, news tells us that Hamas has uh, has squashed an effort to revive a ceasefire hostage deal, while the Jerusalem Post is reporting that. Um, some public officials are encouraging the hostage families to continue the pressure as Christmas is coming up, and it's always a time of year where supposedly people are anxious to make deals and uh, are ready to um, be responsible for heartwarming reunions. So we'll see if that happens. Um, in addition to that, I, as I tend to do, I pay careful attention to what's happening with the with the morning broadcasts here in Israel, um, Channel 12, Channel 13, Channel 14, and others, including the traditional old-time news outlets, and it is all hostage stories all the time. And I am not saying that to be cute or funny. I'm saying it to just understand and realize why there is um, why why so much pressure is being felt and why uh, the, the notion that the um, hostage families are really leading an incredible rally to have their family members released is, is 100% true. We feel it somewhat in the United States when we're there and following the news from Israel, but boy, when you're here, there, there's really nothing else. Even with, the, the, with those who are falling at the hands of the enemies, which obviously makes headlines and makes news, the soldiers that we're losing, unfortunately... And obviously, war talk is still significant, but the hostage talk, especially with the deal, hopefully still in the works, and I say hopefully only because we want the result of hostages coming home, um, it, it is dominating the news. Yigal Siegel is here on day two of our journey to Israel, and uh, I think you'd have to agree with my assessment that right now, uh, with all the news that's going on and all the things that people are following, uh, the hostage families are, are prominent in the newscasts and in the public eye here in Israel. A hundred percent, yeah. It's uh, what we were speaking about yesterday. Yeah. And we care about we care about our people. Oh, there's no question about that. Um, and there was a, um, as I just said a few minutes ago, uh, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton is in Israel and urged the families of the kidnapped Israelis to pressure the politicians to push for a Christmas deal, as she puts it, to release their loved ones from Hamas captivity. 
I don't know why she thinks that a, an Israeli politician would care much about this time of year now that Hanukkah is over. But all right, hey, you know, if she thinks that that spirit of what the world is going through is going to encourage others who may not be um, non-Jews uh, to, to act upon it, then, you know, okay, great. Well, I mean, a serious question here. Is she saying to put pressure on Israeli politicians? Yeah. According to the report in front of us, it was to pressure Israeli politicians to push for a Christmas deal. Now, it's possible in all seriousness that 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 she thinks that those that Israel's negotiating with care right. about this, which is, who, who knows? Who knows who does and who doesn't? But anyway, the bottom line is that the news is being dominated by by all the news about the hostages, their families, those who've been released, they're doing all these features about them, those who haven't been released, you can imagine how, how much attention they're getting. And I'm not saying this is a, a bad thing. I'm simply saying that people need to understand, those who are listening right now need to understand where anybody who follows the news in Israel, where their head is at right now, because that's essentially what, where, where their head is at. Uh, and that is, you know, will there be a deal in the next few days? Uh, also, and also the Jerusalem Post, by the way, in their latest news, their latest breaking news, tell us that uh, the IDF continues to locate weapons and weapons storage in Gaza, tunnels in Gaza as their operation, thank God, continues to be successful. Now, talk about different things hitting home, and we are constantly, uh, mes- we're constantly mentioning that, the, um, that this war has so many connections, right? Fast yesterday on the topic of everybody knows somebody, which of course is so true. But even in the United States, we feel that, you know, mm-hmm. names come out and, and people who we know, you know, are suffering terrible losses. And it's interesting what happened last night. Last night, I'm in um, Yeshiva Rakoto. I'm there for Mariv, and the Rosh Hashiva gets up to speak after Mariv. And he mentions about um, doubling down, so to speak, on our tefillot for specific soldiers. People should take on commitments to have certain soldiers in mind. It's, a, it's, a, it's an even more enhanced practice and just davening in general for the soldiers. I thought it was a beautiful thought. And he said it last night because he was reporting to the yeshiva that the, um, that the soldier from Matsur Hadassah, who was killed yesterday, was a boger of Kerem Biavne. And when he said that, I gasped. And my son, Gavri's next to me, and he says to me after the Rosh Hashiva finished, he said, why do you gasp? At, at, what was it that the Rosh Hashiva said that made you react that way? And I said, just when I heard Boguer from Karen Biavna, I felt a kinship, just, you know, just to hear those words, you know, that somebody who was in an institution that I went to so many years ago, but just to hear that, like how frightening it would have been in that era for me to have heard those words, somebody I would have known, obviously. And, and now I hear those words, and it still has this you know, tremendous effect. And I said, wow, you know, the Jewish people are something, that that can trigger a reaction in somebody just when you hear that the person who was killed uh, who lived in Surah Hadassah was a Karen Biavna Boguer, a graduate, a, uh, a student at Karen Biavna. So I found that to be yet another you know, piece to this whole mm-hmm. picture that we're putting together of you know, all of us feeling some connection in some way. And anybody who's listening right now, if they would hear of somebody from their educational institution that they were in in Israel who you know, fell in war, they would also, you, right, know, right. It, you know, it would hurt. It would hurt that they... Um, anyway, so that was... Um, that was yesterday evening, and um, you know, just a just a, a mention about Yeshiva Dakotal. By the way, <laughs> I said I said to my son after Mariv, I said, so every day, you say the Hirotzer at the end of Shmonesre, looking at Harabai, 
Sheibaneh beis hamikdash from Herav Yamenu, the same chalkeinu b'sorosecha, b'shom navatzcha, b'yira, kimeolam uchshanim kadmonios, right? You said, I said, do me a favor. Do me a favor. Make sure that you never take that for granted. Make sure it never grows on you. Make sure that every day when you say that, it is fresh in your mind as if you said it for the first time. Because that is remarkable, being feet away from Harabayat and saying that prayer three times a day at the end of Shemona Esrei. In addition to everything else that we say that, are, that pertains to Yerushalayim and Harabayat. But that specifically got me as I was saying it, because I was saying it during Marev. And I'm like, wow, look what I'm looking at as this is going on. So just, uh, just an aside for those who've been to the yeshiva and have seen what you see outside of their base medrash. It's just unbelievable. Uh, so there you have it. That's uh, some of the things that are going on. Now today, uh, we're in the Inbal Hotel. And again, a big thank you to Ronnie and the entire staff. Um, and Chaim Snow gives everybody a shout out because I'm assuming he did get his parking space. Yes, he so did. So he also gives a shout out to the people <laughs> at the Inbal Hotel. Chaim's here. And, um, and the reason Chaim is here is because uh, whenever we do something significant, we'd like it to be videographed. We'd like it to be... Uh, videographed? Videographed. <laughs> we'd like it to... We'd, we Chaim's laughing. That <laughs> we'd like it. We'd like it to remain, remain forever etched on film or video, whatever it is that these folks use today. So, like etch a sketch, spirograph. So Chaim is here, uh-huh. and he is going to document the same way he did uh, Yoshua and Tamima's wedding back on April second when that's we were right. when we were in Israel. That's right. And he is going to document. Uh, the conversation that's going to go on today between me and Jonathan Pollard. Jonathan Pollard, because of you, you're the one, you're the one who, who made this happen, Yigal Siegel. Uh, Jonathan Pollard is going to visit us today here in this uh, temporary studio of ours at the Inbal. And I hopefully will have enough time to have a full-length conversation with him and talk about some of the issues of today and some of the things about the last 30 years. So that will be coming up in the 8 o'clock hour or just before 8 o'clock here at JM in the AM. So a... Uh, we're here in Israel, and we get to, again, make history for ourselves. The first time he's going to be on the air. He's never been on the air here before. So we get to make history for ourselves and to document it as Chaim Snow will. Video will be available uh, you know, at some point, and, uh, and everybody obviously will be able to hear the archive in audio form. Please, God, forever. Uh, as Avrami is sitting in his uh, studio saying, okay, as long as everything goes right technically, then, then yes, <laughs> everybody will be able to hear everything together uh, for many, many years to come. And ZK is tossing and turning somewhere. If he's, <laughs> yeah. if he's ZK, awake. ZK might be rolling his eyes. <laughs> uh, so there you have it. Those are some of the things that are going on. It is a uh, Thursday morning edition. Tomorrow is a challenging situation. Yes, a it is. A challenging yes. situation tomorrow. We've had this experience where we've ended the show at 4 p.m. and started Shabbos immediately. The first time, in fact, that I ever broadcasted from Yerushalayim, 1985, 1989, I remember exactly which, which Friday that broadcast that year that was. Um, I actually finished the show from the payphone next to the hotel. It's a true story. I finished the show oh from gosh, the payphone next to the hotel and then went right to Mincha at the hotel oh my know, gosh. at 4 o'clock. Because so, it was that time of year, like now. Uh, I think it may have been the same shop as in fact. Saying, but someone in the studio in New oh, Jersey? Obviously, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and so, where was that payphone exactly? Because <laughs> I don't, don't remember the payphones at the coast. Where was the payphone? That row of payphones next to the oh, bathroom? That's right. That's right. Hey, come on. Are you kidding me? So now. Are you serious? In a museum now? <laughs> so now. They're all in a museum now. So now, tomorrow, uh, I was saying to myself, great, I'll do the show from the inball tomorrow. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I'll run to Kabbalah Shabbos. Now, of course, I forgot that tomorrow's a fast day. And therefore, I figured there'd be a lot of 12, 15, 12, 30 minchas in the area. There are no 12, 15, 12, 30 minchas in the area that I know of in this area. Maybe by you there are. Um, I, I think you're wrong. 
Okay, I hope I'm wrong. So I said to myself that I'll do the show. What does this area mean? Like in this room? <laughs> well, you know me. I need an immediate area. <laughs> like well, within a block wanna, or two. If you want to walk up one block to Karen Ayesod, I would assume that the, the, the shul that's there, I think it's, what's it called? Uh, Beit Yitzchak or something like that? That's in the Lincoln, uh, that, that new big uh, building there. I wouldn't be surprised if they have a minion. I'll check it when I leave. Anyway, so I said to myself, worst comes to worst. I will just, I will end the show at 4 o'clock. And then I will run to the four o'clock mincha, which is about a five minute walk from here. Not bad, right? Not mm-hmm. bad. And that's how what's going to happen. And then, of course, everyone is saying that uh, it's a rarity, which it is, that there's a fast day on a Friday and we're going to end the fast with Kiddush. I never dreamed that I would be able to end my fast with Kiddush an hour and a half after JM and the AM. Could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> if, only, if only that was the case when I'm in New York. Yeah, exactly. If I could end the fast. That, uh, Maybe yeah. you can be Nachmir according to Israel time. <laughs> Anyone who knows of a minion in this immediate area for Nachmir But tomorrow. I mean immediate. No, but be, because you can dive in as early as 10 to 12 here. What? Yeah. How come, how come on my Zmanim it says 12.15? On my monument, for you, I'll tell you what it says. I have it right here. That doesn't make sense. It says the following: I no, look, I love my monument. Please don't. Uh, I'm not uh, accusing but, you of uh, not loving my monument. I'm just telling I you. I just davened yesterday in Zorei Hamad. For it's tomorrow, small. it says earliest mincha twelve oh seven and a half. Oh, lechumra. It says midday eleven thirty seven, and then it says earliest min lechumra twelve oh seven and a half. Oh, so because so if midday is eleven thirty seven, you wouldn't daven before that. But but no, you, but yeah, but obviously, but would you daven eleven thirty seven? I thought no. we, don't we wait a few minutes after? No, 11, no you, you have to wait a half hour after. Uh, so a half of a show's money is probably right noon. Be, there must be something. It must be like noontime. Yerushalayim in general is, is right. remember we've gone right. through this already, but. Right. Uh, it must be around noontime. At, at tw- between, if, if there's a minion 12 at 1215, you would be very happy. Right, but there may be a 12, 1205. There might there be. Could be right? So please, anyone who lives in this area of the Imbal, please help out Nachum Siegel tomorrow so he can hear leaning and he can relax and he doesn't have to run. I he won't, can't run. I will not get after that, I can tell you. That's true. What? You're not going to send everyone out of the room except I, Tem Levim? I will not, send, I will not get after tomorrow. That I will not get. But um, Anyway, but worst comes to worst. I yeah. will end the show and run to the 4 o'clock minute. Be a couple of minutes late. You will run to the 4 o'clock I'll minute? run like I do. <laughs> At four thirty, you'll get there. But then I will, and then the, and then the gentleman here at the Inbal said to me, he said the dinner Shabbos dinner is six o'clock. I said I said I understand that normally Shabbos dinner is six o'clock. Can you check because yeah. I have a feeling that they've made it earlier because tomorrow's a fast. And he came back and he said it's five thirty, which makes sense. I think you make it is after what five twenty something like that. Yeah, it makes uh, sense. Yeah, so five thirty they're going to be serving uh, dinner. So there you have it. Are you happy that I went through this with you, the whole schedule? I'm very happy. I'm just trying to figure out where I'm going to dump Mechel tomorrow. <laughs> because I have to walk with my... Chaim Snow said there's a minion in Al-Azhar. Closest one to here is the minion in one thirty. Oh, what? On your block? Okay, so... And Chaim's coming to pick you up, he said? What did he <laughs> so say? So one second. <laughs> so one second. So this, is, this solves the problem. Chaim, apparently, it's the closest minion to here. <laughs> That's what I've heard. But if I would take the one o'clock in El Azar, right, I could just one thirty. One thirty. I could I could just Uber back to your slide. <laughs> I'm sure there'd be plenty. That sounds like or a tramp. That, that, really that sounds like a good plan, though. No? I am positive that if you wanted to dive in Mincha in El Azar tomorrow, yeah, that Chaim Snow would take care of it. I know. He just said I can go to that minion. Oh, he said you have to come to him for Shabbos. Oh, well, that I can't. <laughs> Which do. I'm sure would be very, very nice. Got to spend Shabbos with the one and only Gavri Siegel. 
Why did you change your name to Shelleg when you moved here? That's the did he? I'm asking. He did it. We were talking about names yesterday. Did he or didn't he? Do I'm it? asking if he did. Oh, you're asking if he did. I thought I, you asked I, him why he didn't. Yeah, why didn't he? That, that's a perfect one. You know why are there other people in Israel named Shelleg? Well, I don't know. Are there? Yeah. Okay. Really? Yeah. Wow. And gee, I wonder what their name was before that. <laughs> Hale. <laughs> Alan Hale. <laughs> His name was Shelleg in Hebrew. Remember Alan Hale? Yeah, but Hale does not mean Shelleg. I know. I'm making a joke. I'm sorry, people. Shelleg is snow. and th- This is Chaim Snow. It should be Chaim Shelleg, but okay, we'll discuss it. Yeah, but didn't you have an email address once that had a Shelleg in it? Or not? I'm wrong about no, that? No, that was the Rabbi Shelleg. Really? No, but there's Rabbi Snow in Brook. Oh, oh, that was your father? Yeah, so your oh. father's Rabbi Shelleg. There you go. Yeah, you go. It didn't change his email address either. Let that be a lesson to you. Anyway, so here we are. We're in Israel, and it's day 76 of the war, and our brothers and sisters are on the front lines in many different ways. And uh, the hostage situation does not get any better. And um, I'm hoping that Israel can do what it needs to do in order to win this war and win it quickly. Later on, we'll get to discuss all of this with Jonathan Pollard, who will uh, speak with us about the current situation and certainly about different things of the last 30s. I have a list, by the way, of personal things between me and Jonathan Pollard, meaning, meaning things that... Um, that, um, that What's the word I'm looking for? She put it so well, Carney uh, Carney Goldstrom, when she approached Pollard at Mayor Weingarten's funeral. She put it so well. She said, "You have a the, the person who who were here for his funeral. You have an, an association with him, like right, that type yeah, of, I, I right. forgot the word that she used. She put it really well. Oh, she was great. Then. Anyway, I was standing right next to her. So I'm going to so. ask him about that and other things that affected me because he was in jail. <laughs> <laughs> because a, it is an Achim single network. Of course. <laughs> I have a list of things, and I know that I'm going to be accused of, of everything being about me again. I get that, but I have to tell my audience. Oh, but that's your point of reference. Right. That's, yeah. So it's not going to be the whole interview, but there will be a section of the interview where I will say to him, you know, by the way, because of you, X, Y, and Z. I wanted to thank you, by the way, for yesterday's show. Is the, you know, in the context of everything that's going on, it was, it was very good to, to have a good time. Wow. Thank you. It's important. People have to understand that, you know. You know what one of our listeners wrote after yesterday's show? I will never listen again. <laughs> <laughs> that actually would be legit. Yeah. <laughs> yesterday's show, afterwards, someone wrote the following. Give me a second. And I thought this was interesting because I was worried about people right. wanting to listen after, you know. That's not um, a daily worry for you, is it? What's that? It's not a, a daily <laughs> worry. Yeah, that is a daily worry, let me tell you. After 40 uh, years, that's a daily worry. Interesting. I call, I call all those things 9 a.m. regret. Oh, yeah, you've spoken about that. Um, hang on a second. Maybe that should be the title of your book, by the way. 9 a.m. regret. <laughs> so where did, where did this listener write this? Maybe on uh, the app? No. Also, I want to, just going back to, because everything's about you, the Mincha thing tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't someone tell us that there's a bar mitzvah here yeah. tomorrow? Yeah. I mean, so maybe, so maybe they're having a Friday night davening. Tell you, you're a genius. And I can actually, te- I can actually text that person and ask them. <laughs> I can actually text them and ask them. I should have thought of that. Um, anyway, I'll find it. There was some listener reaction to yesterday. I'll find it. 
I don't know where it is. I think you may be right. Maybe it was on the app. But I, I'm hoping that it was a positive thing because yeah, it, it, I felt it was very, very positive. It's such a it's such a desolate, sad feeling that it's permeating our country. That to have you know some you know time to kind of like you know just break out of it is something which is very very therapeutic. Well, if everybody who comes from America has a mission. Uh, when they come here, I have fulfilled my mission of bringing a little bit of joy and laughter. What can I tell you? By the way, speaking of the uh, of people coming from America, a shout out to those who are in the Inbal Hotel, including people from Long Island, Young Israel of Woodmere, Halb, uh, and other groups that are represented here, and, and individuals, families who came to participate in whatever they could. A lot of people in... Um, in uh, volunteer efforts. Oh, and our friend Scott Feltman from the Scott's One Israel Fund. Scott's here with the One Israel Fund. Their mission begins, uh, I believe, Sunday, if right, I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot going on, and there are people here. Obviously, the hotel does not look like it looked like six months ago. And obviously, Israel and the airport terminal and that terminal in Newark was, were desolate, you know, and oh. because you're just not used to, you know, there's very few flights going and a lot and much fewer people traveling. Uh, but there are, but we should at least acknowledge that small group of people that are continuously coming and making a commitment to come to Israel. Uh, it, it does, as Yigal and Rabbi Fass and many others have pointed out, it does mean a real difference and make a real difference for people here uh, when they see people from outside of the country coming to visit. So we want to pay tribute to those that we've met. We met a lot of people over the last two days already, a lot of people. Um, and many of them, of course, uh, visiting from the United States. All right, more coming up. You're listening to a um, Thursday morning edition of JM in the AM from Israel. Got it. 
Semcholiner. That's a uh, Shalom Rav selection here at JMNAM. So I found the comment from the listener. Oh, what, good. What happened was yesterday, you may recall, Rabbi Fass was about to, about to announce a donation to FJB as part two of his donation. Right. Remember right. that, Remember that you part? Said to and I notion. said, don't do it now. I just, it's hard to explain because most people would say, what are you crazy? Tell you not to. I, I just, I, I was not in a, if you heard the beginning of my conversation with him, it was obvious I was not in a fundraising mode. Mm-hmm. It was obvious that there was a lot of, you know, uh, down stuff going on. I didn't want to distract myself from that, you know, from the start of the conversations. Anyway, that's, that's what was going on in my head. So this listener wrote the following. Hang on a second. This listener wrote, um, um, when someone is going to give you money, grab it. You never know what will happen later. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, I know you're right, but I think I know what I'm doing, meaning for the reason I just gave you that I felt I was doing the right thing. So this person writes, of course, I know you know, and, and I loved all the banter and the joking. All right. All right. We have at least one person. Some banter and joking. Yeah, at there least one person uh, enjoyed it. Um, the other thing was, all right, Benji Kramer just called me off the air. Mm-hmm. He's in charge of Meir Me Lim, 9 o'clock Monday, Eastern Time. Mm-hmm. Is that your Yoman? Yeah. Nice. You still, use, you still use pen and paper? Yeah. A Yoman, by the way, is a calendar, a diary, a, right. you know, a, a day runner. What do they call it? Right, day timer. Day timer, day runner. Or a day timer, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, so Rabbi Benjamin Kramer called, and I told him that as I watch Israeli television right. the last two days, I have come up with a word that I just I didn't know what the word actually translated to in English. The word is shigra, because in every interview about the hostages who have been released, they keep asking, 
have they gotten back to shigra, and, you know, meaning in Hebrew? And I, I just couldn't, I didn't understand what the word was. So I called someone who knows Hebrew. And I said, what does shigra mean? And they said, back to normal. Benji just put it as, you know, back in the routine, you know, back into, you know, yeah, in, saying, right? into regular life, so to speak. So they keep asking if people are back in the shigra. So don't be surprised if during Meir Milim in subsequent weeks, you will hear, hear analysis of, of the root shin gimel resh. Um, explaining this whole thing. It's funny, by the way, whenever, uh, whenever there's a news cycle of a story, it could be anything having, you know, happening in Israel. It could be a sports story. It could be anything. I always learn a new word or phrase that is used constantly, but f- for some reason, in American Hebrew, it's never used. Like, I don't think I would ever use the word shigra because, you know, even though it's such a, it's a, it's such a more common word than I thought it is. Yeah, know? we use it a lot. I'm here. just saying, so it's funny. But that. it's interesting because a lot of people say that you learn most of your Hebrew here from the newspaper. Correct. And now, I guess, TV, radio, and watching the news sites, yeah. If but it's hard. It's hard to catch on the on on TV. It's hard to catch the words. Correct. However, however, the the luck and unfortunately, you know, one of the benefits of this terrible time, um, the luck is that when you're really familiar with the topic, it's easier to catch the words. And obviously, yeah. when I tune in now, and they're talking about hostages and the war situation, you know, it's not like they're talking about an esoteric topic to me. You know, that I would have no idea what what it's about. Obviously, in context, I have a, a an ability to understand the direction of the conversation. And, you know, it's like the guy who doesn't know Yiddish, but he could listen to a Yiddish shir, you know, like that type of thing. He doesn't know Hebrew, but he gets it when, uh-huh. when the Rebbe's giving shir. You know, he gets most of it, even though he doesn't really know the Hebrew language, etc., etc. Anyway, so there you go. Uh, more about our trip to Israel, or I should say our journey here, um, and some of the little nuances that are taking place. Uh, Jonathan Pollard joins us at hour number three today here at JMM. Our fundraiser continues. By the way, if I'm not mistaken... Mm-hmm. You had mentioned to me we had some activity. Let's see what's going on. Um, oh my gosh, this is so hard to believe. Yesterday we were <laughs> yesterday we were hoping we'd get over to sixty nine thousand dollar mark, and now we're at sixty nine thousand six hundred and seventy four. So for a donation of three hundred and sixty dollars, not only do you get the book autographed by Nachum Siegel, but in addition to that, you'll put us over. The $70,000 mark. With that in mind, I want to say thank you to Eugene Brodsky, who says Hatzlach on your campaign and had his donation doubled and is now responsible for a 40 times high donation to JMM and the Nachum Siegel Network and, of course, the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting. We remind everybody that this is a 40-year uh, campaign that's going to keep going for the next few weeks. Uh, but it is not the, for 40 years, <laughs> but it is the end of the year coming up next week. So if someone does specifically want to give before the year ends, as many people do, make sure to help us out by going to fjbunity.org. Again, that's fjbunity.org. Be as generous as you can be. Oh, and, and don't forget about what uh, Rip Shmuel said. What did Rip Shmuel do? Rip Shmuel, our Rip Shmuel Ralph. Rip Shmuel mean, Ralph. Our chairman, Rip Shmuel? <laughs> it's his new name, Rip Shmuel Ralph. What did the chairman say? No, he shared something very important, uh, a and the first trip that you were here after the war started, he was with you, and he he talked about making IRA contributions um, that to are FJB. tax deductible to so, FJB, which you have to take a required minimum distribution anyway from your IRA every year. So he recommended that you use that money as a donation to JMNAM, and there are several people who did take advantage of that. All right, so and we want to thank him and them. And if uh, anyone wants any information, they can reach you at the email address that's on the website. Right. Yigal at NahumSiegel.com. There you go. Uh, today, by the way, Charlie Harari is going to follow JM in the AM with a look of stretching for greatness and Parshas Vayigash. 
Uh, Drew in the City Speaks, Allison Josephs will have Loe Al-Sharif, the UAE-based peace activist and social media influencer, coming up at 11 a.m. live lunch with Yossi Zweig. Uh, the Kosher Terroir from the one and only Simon Jacob is going to be tonight with the Castell Winery's Eli Ben-Zaken. And then the Arab Shabbos show with Mark Zamek is hosted by the amazing people at, Ke- excuse me, is presented by the amazing people at Kedem. He will host, meaning Mark Zamek will host starting at 7 p.m. tonight, followed by Tani Gutterman and Tani Talks Parsha. All of this on the Nahum Siegel Network. Consider our Thursday schedule when you're considering supporting us. Because our Thursday schedule is when we really tell everybody there's absolutely no need to touch that dial. Don't touch that dial all day. Just keep us on the entire time, and you'll have great Thursday programming in your office, in your car, wherever it is that you're spending your Thursday. We're live in Israel with plenty more coming up. You're listening to a Thursday morning edition of JM in the AM. We are stronger, yes, we are higher, a nation high, high above. Oh, oh. 
Ellie begun first with Lamalaminateva, and then Anachnuma Aminim done by Matt Dub here at JM in the AM. Good morning, all, and thanks for joining us. A Thursday morning broadcast. Tomorrow, Asara Bateves. The 10th of Teves is a fast day. If you're not familiar with it, consult with your local rabbi, and they will explain it to you. I'm sorry? Where are you, Davin? <laughs> I'm sorry, but I care about you. You're very funny. Um, what can I say? 
I just found out that you were the cause of Chaim Snow being in Israel. Cause? That's what he said. Well, he you and nine eleven. That was not the word he used. He didn't say <laughs> the cause. seed. You planted the planted seed. Planted the seed. But you have planted the seed for many people. In other words, ah. there was an episode back in two thousand and one where we were live on the air and Chaim Snow was there, and apparently someone pointed out that, that they need good video people in Israel. Correct. And I on the air said to Chaim, hey, you can move to Israel now because they need good video people. Then terrorists decided to destroy the World Trade Center, and Chaim said goodbye. I'm now leaving the United States. I'm going to live in El Azar. So I think you get as much credit as uh, <laughs> as the terrorists. Based on this story. <laughs> Chaim, how many people lived in El Azar when you got there? 150 families. Do you know what the number is today? Close to 700. 700 wow. families now? The Ve is bigger than Allah's are. Same size. Same size? Big fight. How way. come the Ve Daniel gets get more, more staff skin here while here? They get better <laughs> press than Allah's are. Why is it the Ve Daniel gets that you just based on reputation, I would think there, there were thousands in the Ve Daniel and 700 in Allah's I am shocked that you're asking that question based on yesterday's show. What happened yesterday? You know who lives in the Ve Daniel? Avi Levine. <laughs> I mean, come on. Is there even a question as to why Dave Daniel gets good press? That's why they get good press. So is, uh, is Alon Shvut, is, uh, not Alon Shvut, what's the town called, Alon Shvut? Alon Shvut. Is Alon Shvut larger than the two of them or not? Yeah. Or also the same size? Oh, Alon Shvut could be bigger than Al Azar and could be bigger. Right, has the yeshiva there, right? Interesting, wow. And how many families are in Frat now? That's the... <laughs> well, like, they they always use this figure twenty five thousand people. I don't know how many families that is. Oh, okay. But they say twenty five thousand. That's people unbelievable to me. How many were in Efrat when you got there? When you got to Lazar? Yeah. When I first heard of Efrat, it was a yamako and Rabbi Riskin's head. That was it. That was it, man. That's all you need, ladies and gentlemen. All you need is a yamako with and a name and a dream and a dream, and it could help to be like you know one of the greatest guys ever. <laughs> that does help, doesn't it? It could help. Um, anyway, so that's the story. Tomorrow's a fast day. We will have our regular Friday morning JMM. We'll be doing it Friday afternoon from Yerushalayim. Right after the show ends, I will be starting Shabbos, please God, and ending the fast soon after. Everybody, it is a rarity that there's a fast day on a Friday. Keep it in mind. I do have in front of me the stats for the New York area. Apparently in New York, the fast starts at 518. Ironically, I think in Yerushalayim, it starts 517. I think it does start like 517 tomorrow. I, I, no. I, I, of course, checked. What do you mean, No. It starts at Shkia. Starts? The fast? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I forgot that we're not talking about it. It starts on Shabbos, right? I'm sorry. Um, it second. starts tomorrow in Yerushalayim. No, it should be earlier. Okay. So, Maizmanim <clears throat> says that the fast tomorrow starts 517. Yeah. Interesting. 517, really? That's what it says here. I don't know. Because Nate's is at six. Where does have, it say Nate's is? They have two Shittas. Okay. They have a sheet that starts at 517 and one that starts at 523. Ah, because Nate's is at 633, Tomorrow? Believe. Tomorrow's sunrise, according to my Zmanim, is 635 and 12 seconds. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's always... So, so one second. It's not an hour before sunrise that we, uh, that we say Alos is? Alos I don't know. This is, this is more. This, this is, is more. more than that. Yeah. I don't know. So you're saying, one second. You're saying that if I would like to have... 
a nice, hot, steaming cup of coffee. You have two choices. You could go the Yigal Siegel <laughs> method or the Gavriel Siegel method. Oh, let's hear it. The Yigal Siegel method is you're going to wake up at 4.30, <laughs> right. and you're going to have a nice coffee and maybe a pastry, and then you're going to start the fast. No pastry. At, at 5.17, right? Correct. That's the first thing. What does Gavri do? The Gavri Siegel method is he's going to be staying up tonight. <laughs> he will be eating till the deadline, and then Dominic dates. <laughs> that's, that's the difference between Yigal Siegel but and the his deadline's nephew. an hour before dates. He might fall asleep. He, he, he did say to me yeah. that the only flaw in his plan <laughs> is the late dates right now. It's a very late dates right now. So yeah, it's good for people like you because you like to dive in dates. So it's good for you. But it's a very tough one for somebody who wants to stay up all night tonight. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. he did say if he stays up all night tonight, there will be in Yeshiva a a robust meal between 2 and 3 a.m. <laughs> robust? He said that usually when guys stay up around 2, 3 in the morning is when there's, you know, there's a significant amount of food of, of all different types. You know? Where does the, the, the yeshiva provides the no, food? No, I, oh. I think guys go. And, you know, the, look, the Cholin places are open at 1 a.m., aren't they? Or not? What do you mean open? They're not open? They open at 1 a.m. <laughs> they open at 1 a.m. <laughs> so, I don't know about the one in El Azar. I don't know if that one opens at 1 a.m., but I can tell you that in Yushalayim, you can find Chol at oh, 1 o'clock in the morning. It, it's, you know, someone told me, and I don't know if this is still true or not, especially with the war, but that two, pla- two new places open every Thursday in Yushalayim. That here. offer Chol. That offer Chol on Thursday nights. Chaim is shaking his head yes. <laughs> So it looks like Chaim, we know where Chaim is headed after this, uh, after so, 4 o'clock. So here's your, this has been very interesting. Yeah. Um, this strategy mm-hmm. um, actually has legitimacy to it. There's Cholent available 1, 2 in the morning. Yeah, on Thursday nights, yeah. No right, the meal can be, as, as Gavri described to me, you know, in the 2, 3 area. And then, you know, you finish learning, mm-hmm. and then you hope you don't fall asleep, as you said, and that you stay up for Shachars. That's the, again, the only flaw in the plan is the late sunrise this time of year. There you have it. I didn't think you'd think that that was our topic today. <laughs> That's our topic for today. I'm still worried about Mincha for you. <laughs> anyway, Tanis tomorrow, a fast day. More coming up. You're listening to a JM in the AM from Jerusalem, Israel. Good morning. <laughs> I'm 
אבל הוא מפיץ אוויר, מזרח האורתי, והשם תוכה ידו תמיד נותן לו. אני רוצה להשתנות, להיות כמוהו. להיות, להיות, חי לתת, כן, ככל שיותר נותנים בו ונתן בחיים. אל תתלבט, כי כדאי תמיד לתת. אין שום ספק. J.M. and the A.M. I hope everyone follows Ari Goldwag's advice, live to give. Don't forget our fundraiser continues at fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. For now, everything is do- doubled that you give. You give 360, it turns into 720. Well, as Yigal just confirmed to me off the air, and as listener Tikva reminds us on the app, there are sirens right now in the central part of Israel, including Petach Tikva, where we have listeners. The map you showed me was pretty significant, meaning it covered a whole bunch of cities in Israel, right? Yeah. It's really a lot, especially and since it's been quiet for the last couple of days. So. I think it was 46 hours straight without a red alert. I think it was 46 hours or 36 hours straight. 41 hours. 41? Yeah. So now the enemy has started up again. And there were two areas. One was the central region of Israel, more toward the, the, the western part. And what was the other area that you showed me? Was that, uh, was that near Gaza? The other area? Yeah, a little south. A little south of there, yeah. So places like Ophakamen, places like that? And I assume, yeah. I didn't, it was so bunched together. Right, there's so many of them. It's crazy. Schwiger <laughs> um, says, Boker Tov Nachum, what an amazing thing you're doing. As inspiring as your broadcasts always are, they're even more so from the Holy Land. I should call and thank you for always being there for us figuratively and literally. Thank you. I appreciate that. M.H. Dauber says, I guess because we mentioned the root of Shin Gimel Reish. You can help me with this. You're a Torah scholar, you go. Says v'chol peter sheger behema. Would that be the same? Uh, That's a great question. I don't know. Is sheger there? What, what is that? First of all, I'm not a, a scholar. It's You're like not? get Benji on the phone. <laughs> like, you know, sheger. He may be in shachros and yeshiva flat. Sheger behema. Does that sheger the same as shin? Peter sheger behema is talking about like the firstborn, right? The first. I, I would assume. Yeah. So sheger. No, I don't know. I don't have no idea. Good question. Though. And A. Schnall writes, I always enjoy listening live on my commute from Jerusalem to Gush Etzion. Oh, I wonder if this wow. is, maybe it's one from El Azar. Hmm, I wonder. 
There's a 1.30 mincha on Chaim Street. <laughs> I feel like it's tomorrow. even. I feel like it's even more alive since you're right here. Thank you for all you're doing. Hey, Aishna, let us know what town. How many towns are there in, in the Gush? 10, 20? 10? Let us know which one you're traveling to. Even Chaim doesn't know. What do you mean? Saying things are growing so much there that it, uh, you never know it's hard to new, keep up. When a new, someone told me that there's now a. Is there? Does Tekoa have like an offshoot, like Tekoa Bed or Tekoa Beitar or something, or Tekoa Elite? Most of these should have each of them have some sort of outpost. Right. Yeah. I think Tekoa now has the Tekoa Elite. Does that make sense? I think I heard that from somebody. It's pretty amazing. I'll tell but you. But isn't there a whole new community opening up near the Tekoa now? Like for for Americans that came in. The yes, summer? I heard that. Right. I yeah. heard that. As, I think it may be the same thing we're talking about. It may be that, under that name. I'm not mistaken. It's pretty amazing, I'll tell you. Wow. And I'll tell you another amazing thing. You know, yesterday we were talking about the fact that I got off the plane on Wednesday morning, and I actually was met by a Nefesh Benefesh representative because they were waiting for uh, for somebody to get off the plane. And of course, we were talking about people still making Aliyah. But some of the folks that are making Aliyah, I got, I got to give them so much credit because it, it, one might, and this is why. In all seriousness, I believe this. Mm -hmm. No one really does know how they would react in certain situations. Like there are people, you know, now watching from around the world, the hostage situation, and rightfully they, you know, they say to themselves, you know, what would I be like in that type of situation? And the answer is you just don't know. You think you'd be, you know, one way or the other. You think you'd be heroic. You think you'd be a coward. You think you'd be, you know, but you have no idea. Until you're in that situation, you have no idea how you would be. If you would tell certain people years ago, in the middle of a war, you're going to be moving to Israel, half of them would say you're nuts. And it's the same people that now are doing it. You know, they, this, you know the, the incredible devotion, dedication, and, um, and, and desire of Jews around the world to be here, it's just remarkable to see it in a time of war when things are, you know, a little shaky, uh, on shaky ground here in this country. And by the way, with that in mind, I, I got to give another shout-out to the celebrities and the people of note to, you know, to the general public who are coming here now because they can have the same attitude that many have had in the past. Oh, it's dangerous, so there's rockets, and there's, you know, who knows what the political situation is. There could be, it's possible if flights will stop and I'll be stuck there. There's a lot of things you could say. Mm -hmm. And what do they do? They, they, even they, who may not have the same type of connection that, that, you know, others have to Israel, even they are, you know, making every effort to get here. So call a vote to anybody of any background who feels this incredible pull uh, to be here in Israel, whether it's a visit for a week or whether it's permanently as an Ole or an Ola, uh, Kalakavo, this is like the conversation we had yesterday about the lone soldiers. It's just, right. you, you, you can't, you just sometimes can't understand it where they have this incredible attitude and it's just remarkable. And, and I, I do feel bad for the parents that need to sleep at night. I really do feel bad. And I, I can't imagine how they do. But they, you know, they're to blame. They raise children who have this incredible commitment to the Jewish people, to the land of Israel, to the state of Israel, to Jews around the world. It's their own fault for imbuing such incredible spirit in the children that are doing these incredible tasks. That's the bottom line. Anyway, my thoughts as we wrap up the hour. Anything you wanted to add or not? No. Nope. That's it. I think uh, we talked about it yesterday. We talked about yeah. how people coming... No matter what they're going to do or what they're, you know, trying to accomplish, just visiting 
Whatever it is, yeah. it's a boost for the country. No question. One hour from now, Jonathan Pollard at America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network. And, of course, any beloved NSN app. Give and give generously. Go to fjbunity.org to support our 40th anniversary campaign. Again, 40th anniversary campaign at fjbunity.org. And call out a vote to the groups that we have seen in Israel who organized groups that have made the effort and have accomplished the goal of getting here, volunteering, and making a difference, and, and having other people here see them here, which is so important and so critical. Big Yashikov. Special thank you to the Inbal Hotel, who are housing many of those groups and who continue to be an amazing resource and service for us here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Galay Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Thursday is next. We say Boker Tov from Jam in the AM. Galay Tzal, Hashash Time. Shalom Rav, Baulpan Ehud Graf, in Mashikorach Shav. בשעה האחרונה מתח כבד לעבר ערי גוש דן, השרון, השפלה, אשדוד ואשקלון. שברי רקטות נפלו בחלק מהיערים והיישובים. מדווח כתבנו גל ג'רסי. הזרקות הופעלו כמעט בכל יישובי המרכז, תל אביב, רמת גן, חולון, בת ים, הרצליה, רעננה ועוד. התרעות הופעלו גם בשפלה, באשדוד ואשקלון. ככל הידוע, אין נפגעים במטח. שברי רסיסים גדולים נפלו בערים רבות, ביניהן הרצליה, גבעת שמואל, פתח תקווה וגן יב. עד כאן. ובגבול הצפוני, שני פצועים קל מפגיעת טיל נ"ט ברכב במרחב דובב. מדווח כתבנו בצפון, אדר גיציס. מחבלי חיזבאללה שיגרו טילי נ"ט לאביבים ודובב בגליל העליון. נגרם נזק לרכבים פרטיים באביבים, ואילו בדובב שני אזרחים נפצעו קל מרסיסים, הם פונו להמשך טיפול במרכז הרפואי זיו בצפת. במקביל שוגר מיירט לעבר מטרה חשודה שככל הנראה חצתה מלבנון לשטח ישראל, הופעלה התראה ביישובים סמוכי גדר בגליל העליון, איש לא נפגע ולא דווח על נזק, בצה"ל מנגד ממשיכים להשיב ארטילריה בדרום לבנון. הפלגים הפלסטינים בעזה בהודאה. החלטנו שלא ינוהל שיח בנוגע לשבויים ולעסקאות חילופין לפני הפסקה כוללת של המלחמה. יעל אדר, אמו של תמיר אדר, בן ה-38, שנחטף מניר עוז, סיפרה ללוסי ארש ולג'קי לוי בגלי צה"ל, אמרתי לנתניהו, לא היה לנו ביטחון עשרים שנה. מגיע לי ביטחון לא על הגב של הילד שלי. לא נתת לי את זה עשרים שנה, ואל תתעקש על זה היום. תחזיר את, את החטופים, ואז... הכל בידיים שלך, ואם בתהליכים מדיניים תצליח לייצר ביטחון מעולה, ואם היא תהיה איזושהי הפרה, אז בלי הבלגות, כי גידלנו את המפלצת מהבלגות, ולכן אנחנו במציאות הזו. בעוד כשעה יובל למנוחות סמל לביא ג'האסי, לוחם בגדוד 931 בחטיבת הנחל, שנפל אתמול בצפון רצועת עזה. עשרות מתושבי חשמונאים חולקים לו כבוד אחרון עם דגלי ישראל ברחבי היישוב. הרב ניר יעקב מס, ראש ישיבת לב תל אביב, שיר לנריה, בעל למד לביא, ספד לו בגלי צה"ל. כבר מהרגע שהוא הגיע לישיבה, ישיבת ההחזר, צללתי לתוך העיניים העמוקות והטובות שלו. גיליתי שיש שם מולי ככה ממש נשמה גדולה, עמוקה, טובה, שרוצה לעשות טוב בעולם. 
ככה הוא סיפר לי על העשייה שלו, על ההתנדבות שלו, רק נתינה בלי שום תגמול, ורואים רואים על נשמות כאלה שהם אנשי נתינה אמיתיים. אחרי מאבק של שנים, רכזי הביטחון השוטף הצבאיים, הרבש"צים, יועסקו כאזרחים עובדי צה"ל ותנאיהם ישודרגו. מדווח כתבנו שחר גליק. בהתאם להמלצת הצוות המקצועי שמינה שר הביטחון, הוחלט לשדרג את מעמד הרבש"צים ביישובים. על פי החלטת גלנט, הם יועסקו כאזרחים עובדי צה"ל, יידרשו לעמוד במדדי כשירות מבצעית ויקבלו ציוד מתאים. בימים אלו עובדים במועצות האזריות ובארגון הרבש"צים מול ארגון עובדי צה"ל ומשרד האוצר, על מנת לגבש מתווה סופי להעסקתם. מזג האוויר, נמשכת ההתקררות. הלילה יחלו לרדת גשמים מקומיים, בעיקר בצפון הארץ, מלווים בסופות רעמים יחידות. לידיעת חיילי צה"ל ברצועת עזה, מחברת מטאוטק נמסר, הטמפרטורות תרדנה וייתכן אובך. אלה החדשות שעורכת אילנה בנימין. J.M. and the A.M., well, it does sound like the uh, headline is all about the barrage of rockets that has now uh, uh, been directed at the central part of Israel. The Jerusalem Post actually calls it the Tel Aviv area, central part of Israel. Massive rocket barrage aimed at Tel Aviv, central Israel. And this happened over the last half hour. And um, uh, you, uh, you all were paying attention to the newscast. That was basically the... The headline at this point, right? Yeah. We don't know if um, barrages means the enemy is considering the ceasefire hostage deal. Sometimes that happens, that they'll now start another barrage of rockets as a final reminder before a deal is made, or because the deal is off, that might be the reason that they've gone ahead and decided to hit Israel with as many rockets as possible we don't we don't know which of the two it might be or or some other reason are you on why aren't you on that's considering that's that is concerning i don't know now hello oh you took the wrong headset i took the wrong headset so we don't know what the enemy has in mind we have no by the way that headset stays on that side of the yeah i'm sorry but um <laughs> We don't know what the enemy has in mind. We don't know if the barrage is for that reason, for the other reason, or some other reason that, you know, that the enemy has justified going ahead and uh, causing God knows how many red alerts throughout Israel. Um, we just don't know. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, there are people who are a lot smarter and a lot more uh, aware of stuff that can probably understand why certain things are happening. Let's put it that way. But, uh, If that were the case, then they would have more insight into what the enemy is doing, and that would be to our advantage. So I hope you're right. I really hope you're right. Yeah. Anything else in the news of note, or it's basically more hostage stories? It seems that there were a couple of people who were slightly injured from, uh, it seems in the north, there was a place called Dovev. I don't know what Dovev is. Did you hear that? Dovev? Anyway, yeah. so um, that there was some sort of rocket. It sounded like it was sent from Lebanon, and uh, there, it was a car that was hit in But it doesn't seem like they were injured badly, but there were two people injured. As we discussed yesterday, we kind of forget about the people who are injured. The regular. And injured lightly is not necessarily lightly when it comes to like, you know, it's not like breaking your foot for two months. You know, like it's, uh, it's something which is a little more serious, but uh, that's, that's the way we have to look at these things. Yeah. Um, Aishnal says he's in Neve Daniel. Oh, 
Thank you. Is this a typo? He says, I'm in the gaps. I'm in the gaps. I don't know if it's a typo or... Uh... Is there another gap there? Listener <laughs> Tikva says that Tekoa is huge. I remember when Tekoa was yeah. tiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's right. Shira's mom says, you spoke of fast start times. How does it work with fast ending? In, well, we're ending the fast with Kiddush. Simple right. as that. Tomorrow's <laughs> fast ends with Kiddush. There's nothing else to say. Once you're allowed to... Break the fast. It's uh, time to make Kiddush. Enjoying your Israel broadcast from Brooklyn, coming through loud and clear. LOL. Yeah, I was thinking today, by the way, Chaim would appreciate this. If if you knew how difficult technologically, well, difficult is the wrong word, how cumbersome technologically it was to broadcast from Israel years ago, everything we'd have to be concerned with, the millions of questions I have to ask, about electricity and internet, I mean internet, whatever system we were using, it was usually phone lines that we were using to connect. It was, it was so difficult. And now, you know, it's still, you know, we're still on top of it, meaning, you know, we, we make sure that for every minute we're on, we're actually still on. You still have to be concerned to be on top of it. But boy, it is nothing. For those of us who've been in this for a while, it is nothing compared to what it used to be. I remember yesterday we were talking about how we were trying to, and I said to you, it's okay if I have to carry a second bag right. <laughs> to carry the equipment. Remember Could the you equipment? Imagine? Oh, my gosh. You can't have to bring, what, two suitcases of equipment? At least one massive duffel and then, you know, the other bags. But it, it, it was just crazy. Every, I, every time we do this, I think of this. How, and we're going from one place to oh, the, if you had if you had, like, three shows in three oh different places. My oh, gosh. my goodness. <laughs> it was so crazy. And now, as you said, yeah. <laughs> I bought you the greatest gift I bought, oh. I bought him a carry case for the Israeli roadcasters. So, <laughs> so now he literally can walk around Yushalayim with ease as he goes from, from broadcast oh, you don't to broadcast. It's no fantastic. one understands how that's unbelievable. Listener Moshe says, good morning and afternoon. Now, Chom Yashikov uniting and informing us. Question of Hamas capabilities are mostly destroyed in Gaza. Where are the rockets coming from? That, by the way, is it's such a phenomenal question. question. This will be part of our weekly update tomorrow for sure. I'm going to ask that question, but it's such a great question, and I think about that all the time. Today, there was a picture posted. I don't know if you saw it. There was a picture posted of uh, one of the neighborhoods of Gaza City. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about you know flattening a neighborhood. This was a, a drone shot of a flat neighborhood. I'm talking about you know. I, I mean, some the, people may. The have answer joked. has to be. I'm not saying that I know better than Malcolm Honline, but I think the answer has to be that it's coming from southern Gaza. As yeah. opposed to northern, because yeah. we haven't taken over all Correct. of something. I'm sure it is a logical answer. I just, when you see a photo like that, you say, how could there be any activity when Israel has gone in and literally leveled the place? Uh, but yes, of course, there's still active areas and plenty of them, and we'll talk about that. But I, I, I just think the question is good. Like, you know, oh, yeah, it's an excellent because question. Because you have to assume Israel has destroyed God knows how many of the launching pads that the enemy has used from Gaza till this point. Right. 11 minutes after the hour, we are now minutes away, 40-plus minutes away from Jonathan Pollard visiting us in our temporary setup here in the Inbal Hotel with a big thanks to the Inbal here in Yushalayim. Getting ready for, for us, it'll be a historic conversation, our first opportunity to sit down with Jonathan Pollard. It's coming up in hour number three right here at JM in the AM.
Good morning, master of the world. Boy, get toy, very boy, no shell, I long get Morgan Bashefer, Finder Velt. Good morning, master of the world. Hi, boy, get toy, very boy, no shell, I long get Morgan Bashefer, Finder Good morning, master of the world. I boy Morgen beschäftigt in der Welt. 
scared to see the light my parents shine towards me. What I thought I saw was not really that so beautiful and nothing can compare. We fought so hard to get it while I sit here and neglect it. It's so beautiful, but I couldn't see it yet. You see me running. Kept on showing, and the light kept on glowing till the end. I'm 
J.M. in the A.M. on a Thursday morning. That was the uh, Waterbury running back to you selection here on a uh, Thursday broadcast. Um, actually, no, that was Isaac and Rubenstein, Waterbury before that. Isaac and Rubenstein with Shalom Aleichem running back to you from Waterbury. Boker Tovri Boner Shalom done by Avremo Avram Freed. And Kulam was from Shalshelas, and we're in hour number two on a Thursday here at JMA. And broadcasting from the Inbal Hotel, where, believe it or not, our dear friend David Fishoff, yes, that David Fishoff, the legend himself, has walked into our temporary studio here in Jerusalem. It reminds me, seeing David reminds me of some of the incredible times he, he and I have had when he's hosted me in Los Angeles, California. Remember that amazing breakfast we had just recently? He had a chance to meet Gavri Siegel during that breakfast, and we had a wonderful time with Rabbi Einhorn, and we actually had a fantastic Sunday, frankly. Uh, anyway, David is here in Jerusalem, and he is um, among the many distinguished celebrities that are traveling in the Holy Land during this sensitive time in Israel, so I appreciate that he's here, and he'll be joining us uh, through the uh, 
conversation with Jonathan Pollard, and um, we are here at the Inbal Hotel and having an amazing time, as we always do, very different than usual, obviously, because of the situation in Israel, but the Inbal, whether it's wartime or peacetime, is extremely, um, extremely accommodating, and every request we have, they fulfill, and we appreciate that greatly. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone, and comment away. Our 40th anniversary campaign is on. Go to fjbunity.org. Right now, anything you give is doubled. A big thank you to Flory Heller, who has just donated. A thank you to everything that we do. And Double Chai has become four times high because of the matching, and we appreciate that very much. Again, go to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. Org. A shout out to our friends at A&H, those of you who want delicious and incredible meat products. If you want something that's absolutely delicious and something that you certainly should be taste testing with your families so that they can enjoy some fantastic, delicious meat products, check out A&H. And in addition to their hot dogs and salami, as we always say, check out their amazing and incredible knockwurst. It's the Nahum Siegel favorite. My listeners know this. A&H knockwurst, you will not regret taking my recommendation. Uh, A&H offers you a 10% discount with promo code radio at kosherdogs.net. Again, kosherdogs.net. Try A&H today. You'll be glad you did. More coming up. Chaim Yisrael at JM in the AM.
JM in the AM. Thursday morning broadcast tomorrow will be on the air from the Inbal Hotel. But tomorrow's a fast day. Tomorrow's a fast day. Our usual Friday features, including Harry Rothenberg, Rabbi Yudin, Malcolm Honline with the weekly update. We are expecting all of our regular features tomorrow, even though, again, it's going to be a fast day. For us, it's an interesting show. Those of you who weren't tuned in earlier for the conversation, we're going to be broadcasting until 4 p.m. in Israel, and then literally Shabbos starts <laughs> and Mincha uh, for the fast day, at least the later minchas will be starting just around then as well. So a very interesting uh, situation tomorrow when I get to break my fast just about an hour or an hour and a half after JMAM ends, a feeling I've never had before. <laughs> so that'll be happening here tomorrow in Israel. And of course, a reminder that here the fast begins, meaning here in Israel, the fast begins at 517. But in the United States, in the New York, New Jersey area, the fast begins tomorrow morning at 538 again. That's 538. More details tomorrow here at JM in the AM. Or by Goldwasser, we are, um, we are, I believe we're going to air a replay. Yeah, we're airing a replay of Rabbi Goldwasser and one of his morning Chizuk segments here at JM in the AM. And I remind you that Jonathan Pollard is our guest coming up. That's right. Jonathan Pollard is our guest coming up. 8 a.m. Eastern time. He's expected in this studio at the Inbal Hotel. And we will be uh, taking advantage of this historic opportunity to speak with him for the first time, for the first time, our conversation with Jonathan Pollard. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words, Zechonish Masarav Zebna Vilsev Alevi, and Zechonish Mas Esther Basar Vilsev Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. We say every day in Shemona Esrei, Borcheinu Avinu, bless us our Father, Kulonu Ke'echod, all of us as one, Be'or Panecho, with the light of your countenance. Rabbeinu Yonah says in Shari Tshuva that when there is Ha'aras Panim, when Hashem shines His face upon us, when the Shekhinah is with us, that's made possible through the Schus of Achdus, unity, when we are Kulonu Ke'echod, we are like one. At that time, Hashem does not accept any accusations whatsoever against Klau Yisrael. Concerning the Ha'aras Panim, the Pnine Tfila says that Klau Yisrael is compared to the Levana, the moon. Just like the Levana receives its light from the sun, so too Klau Yisrael receives its light, its existence, its vitality, its spiritual essence from the light that Hashem reveals to us. This is all according to how much we prepare and refine ourselves, how much we strive for complete unity and achdus in Klau Yisrael. Parents of one of the very special chayalim taught a lesson in achdus as they viewed the belongings of their son when he returned home briefly from battle. There was a pair of tzitzits from Adaret in Yerushalayim there were soft-covered gemaras from Art Scroll, warm socks donated by a community in Argentina, a fleece jacket gifted by a high-tech company, undershirts from a manufacturer, and gloves that were brought by the students of a Beis Yaakov school. It's a picture of Achtus, of Klau Yisrael around the world coming together like no other nation in the entire world. In this Zuchus, we ask Hashem 
Borchenu avinu kulanu keechad. May all of the members of the Tzva Haganali Yisrael be successful in their missions and return home safe and sound. May all of the hostages immediately be released and return home safe and sound. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day.
Hashem, let me sing just one song. Hashem, let me live till the great morning comes when the whole world will sing just one song.
J.M. in the A.M. Benny Friedman. Call on a Shema. We're live in Israel. We're in Jerusalem. In Baal Hotel. Keep our brothers and sisters in the IDF in mind. Keep our brothers and sisters who are being held by the enemy in mind. We'll speak about current events and some of the other events of the last 30 years with Jonathan Pollard who's coming into our temporary studio in the next few minutes here at the In Baal Hotel. For us, a historic conversation, no doubt. We'll speak with him coming up. Yehuda Green had Kulambalevachad and Anabakoach here at JM in the AM.
Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget, go to artscroll.com. Make sure to use promo code radio. That's the rule. You go to artscroll.com, you save big, and you get free shipping every time you use promo code radio. Artscroll.com has all the latest releases, including the uh, brand new book about Rav Nutt, the Greenblatt that we uh, spoke about on Monday of this week. Go to artscroll.com, and again, follow the rule. Always use promo code radio. Remember that our brothers and sisters here in Israel have uh, suffered through a whole bunch of rocket attacks, attempted rocket attacks, and red alerts over the last couple of hours. Uh, as it seems the, uh, the hostage deal is off, and it seems that the enemy has again decided to accelerate rocket fire. Keep all this in mind as uh, you go through your day today that our brothers and sisters in Israel are going through quite a challenging day, as uh, every day here seems to be a challenging day. Uh, an important message, frankly, for these times. Tomorrow, a weekly update and our usual Friday features from Jerusalem and plenty, of course, next week, um, which we'll, uh, we'll be doing some of our shows from Jerusalem next week. And Mayor Ferdig's going to be sitting in as well, the brand-new grandfather. He'll be sitting in with some programming of JM and the AM next week for us here on NSN. Moshav Band next. This is JM and the AM.
Thursday morning broadcast from Jerusalem. My name is Nachum Siegel, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the Nachum Siegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. We're here in Jerusalem in our temporary studio at the Inbal Hotel, and we are honored to welcome Jonathan Pollard into this uh, studio, and uh, it's the first time we've ever spoken with him, and uh, we're very honored that he has agreed to this, uh, what I hope will be a full-length interview and a conversation, no doubt, about current events and some of the other events of the last 30-plus years. A pleasure to welcome you to JM and the AM. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mazel tov on your third anniversary of living in the city of Jerusalem. Am I right? It was just a few weeks ago. No, it was the third it's, anniversary? it's the third, and it's also a little over the first anniversary of my, my marriage. Mazal tov. So, to Rivka. Right. So. And um, I would also say a mazal tov on the eighth anniversary of you being paroled. And I don't know how you looked at that, because I know you probably wanted to go directly to Israel and not spend time in the United States, but uh, it was a significant event, you'd have to agree. It was, it was a significant event, but it was leaving a conventional prison with walls and razor wire to go to an unconventional type of living with uh, geographic restrictions and a GPS and all that. What was not funny, but it was ironic was all of my friends were complaining bitterly when we had the lockdown. And I said, well, welcome to my world. <laughs> I said, it's not a problem for me. Um, bars on the window looked familiar. Uh, wow. Had to be in a small space, felt familiar. You know, of course, the major difference was I had my wife with me, which made all the difference. So, yeah, it was... Um, it was disappointing. Because freedom is freedom, but restrictions does not equal freedom. Yeah, it was actually scarier for me in New York than it was in prison. Because in prison, I kind of knew everybody. I knew who to be afraid from, who to avoid. I could carry a weapon. Um, but you could carry a weapon, meaning? A knife. Actually, two knives. And you and, mean that in a legal sense you were able to no, carry? In an no, illegal sense? Everybody or? did. The only way to protect themselves. It was the only way to protect yourself. So in New York, um, I couldn't have anything, not even a gas gun. There was one incident that happened that was very troubling. And uh, a guy in Manhattan, in Manhattan on Third uh, Avenue, and a guy just stepped out of the shadows and confronted me and threatening me to kill me. I looked at him and, oh, crew cut, squared away, military. Wow. And, and you uh, were alone? Well, no, Esther was with me, and I looked back at her for a second, and there was a guy behind us. So I told her, get, get, get behind me close and keep your eye on the guy behind us. So uh, I realized, you know, I had to get a little aggressive. And in prison, what you do is you look at somebody's hands you don't look at their face, and you don't listen to what they're saying. You watch their hands. The hands show us their intent. Their intent. And so his hands were still down, out. So I just started pushing him hard, and he didn't expect that. And I don't think he knew what to do at that point. And he was threatening to kill me and kill my wife, and you know, it was very uncomfortable. But uh, I saw some cops... 
and I went for them, and he disappeared. He and his friend disappeared. So um, there was, I'm not going to mention his name, but there was a nice Jewish captain that showed up from the local precinct. And, uh, well, it was a hate crime because, uh, bias crime, he was saying some really uh, anti-Semitic things to me. It was clear that he was trying to get me, uh, to provoke me, to do something. So he'd have well, re- reason to attack you. reason, but yeah. more importantly, if I were involved in any physical altercation, I'd go straight back to finish um, 15 more years, day for day. Essentially a violation of your parole. Correct. So what happened was they eventually looked at all the cameras from the banks in that area, and they were all blank for that time frame. And Shockingly I, enough. And I went into the precinct, and he was sitting there, and he said, uh, you're not going to believe this. I said, they're all blank? He said, uh, yeah, every one of them. So... Uh, Ron Dermer um, made a formal complaint to the State Department over what happened. It was clear that it was a, uh, a setup. authorized right. uh, setup. It was a provocation, and he said point blank, if it happens again, you know, there are going to be diplomatic consequences. And luckily, um, it didn't happen again. It right. was it was okay. So we hear how you survived in New York City. How did you survive in prison, especially at the very beginning, the first few years, when you're just learning, it sounds like, who to avoid, how to operate, the modus operandi in general. It, I would imagine that in the, in the, in the early part, it, it must have been frightening not having that information well, yet. First of all, there's... Um, I have an ability to switch... Your, my mindset, depending on my environment, luckily. So my first uh, seven years were uh, 150 meters underground, um, isolation. Oh, the entire seven years isolation? Yeah, the entire time. And it was uh, pretty tough. Um, being by yourself, you would think it would be easier than with a bunch of murderers and but but it's the most dangerous time to be with because you have seemingly no hope. So when I came there, um, the warden came out and said, uh, look at the sky, look at the grass, breathe the air. The next time you come up, you'll be an old man in a body bag. So if you don't talk, this was like for people that didn't talk. And um, I said, well, God runs the world. We'll, you know, and he said, well, we'll see. Okay, so I had to become reacquainted with Hashem down there. I was off the derech before then for various reasons, and I realized that I couldn't uh, do this myself. I needed help if I were going to keep my mouth shut, and I certainly wasn't going to commit. I, they suggested if you don't want to talk, you can use the bar over the door. Just hang yourself. You, know, you can leave easily. And I tried to explain to them that Jews don't commit suicide. We uh, buy retail instead. <laughs> That's what we're known for. That's what we're known for. <laughs> but but uh, the joke was lost on him. <laughs> really? Yeah, completely <laughs> lost on him. Okay. So I had a discussion with a Kodesh Baruch Hu 
uh, kind of like uh, Avram Avinu with Hashem negotiating for Sidon. Come on. And uh, I negotiated with him, um, and I said, if I do these five things and I don't do these five things, uh, save me. And he did. And uh, seven years later, I came up. It literally into the light. Everybody else had committed suicide. And seven years is significant in Jewish uh, Yes, it war. is. Quite. Yeah. Quite. So one of the first things I asked was, what year is it? Seriously. Yeah. So I came up, and uh, he was there, the same warden. And sometimes I have a problem with time and place. <laughs> this was the wrong time and the wrong place <laughs> to finally open my mouth, but I had to. And I said to him, I mean, I'm all trussed up, like a Thanksgiving turkey. And I just looked up at this monster of a guy, and I said, you see, I told you, God runs the world. And I lost a tooth, and he knocked me out, but it was the sweetest pain I ever had. I really got him mad. And uh, he charged me with incitement to riot. And this was kind of funny, because every warden I've ever come across and there were many, called me in and said, how, how could you have incited a riot? You were outside under how many guns they didn't know, trussed up. Um, there wasn't any inmate around. They just eventually tore it up. I mean, they said, this is ridiculous. That was the only uh, shot I ever got in 30 years. That was the only infraction I right. got. And... Um, it was difficult when I went to the next prison because there were a lot of people who were getting killed there. Is this already Butner we're talking about? Butner, yeah. North Carolina? North Carolina, yeah. I mean, everybody thinks the feds, you know, are club fed. Well, it's not that way. I don't care what prison you go to. It's dangerous. Even a camp right. can be very, very dangerous uh, because you don't know who and what you're dealing with. So a major problem I had there was um, kashrut. How do I? I couldn't get kosher food. They didn't have kosher food for me. And the commissary was expensive. I didn't have very much money. I was working. And um, I had to scramble. And there were many times I didn't have anything to eat. And I was actually thankful that I didn't have anything to eat. Why? Because this is um, the service you go through to maintain your Yiddishkeit. And I was And you thankful. were happy to be. I was very happy to do that. I was very happy. So, okay, eventually, 15 years later. From they, your entrance into Butner. Yeah, I'm still there. And uh, they get Meal Mart, <laughs> common fare. And the problem with that was that the uh, individuals in the kitchen were opening up the packages and taking the chicken or the meat or the fish out and then retaping it. I can't eat it. It's trafe at that point. So I just kept scrounging for food. And um, it was okay. You know, al kiddush Hashem. It's fine. Do you remember where one of the things about you that we've been uh, told, that we read about, is that you have a phenomenal memory. 
That's what people say about okay, it. Okay, I, I, have, I have to quickly say something. Um, a congressional friend of mine, whom I will not mention, came under a little opprobrium for his scandalous behavior um, from New York. <laughs> <laughs> we might know who you mean. Um, he was a Sadiq with me. I can't tell you how much he did for me, for no gain at all, because it was the right thing to do. And a lot of people, you know, may not like me saying this, but good and bad can coexist sometimes in the same people. And um, to the extent they're bad, they can also also be good. Some would say in every person, frankly, that there's... Well, you know, to an extent, not right. in this... Right, this extreme, extent. right. Yeah, this is a bit extreme. Right. Um, but in this case, he was very helpful uh, and s- successful in getting a document that basically the government admitted that uh, they knew I didn't have a photographic mind. That was one of their concerns originally, was Correct. that you had a photographic mind, and therefore Correct. there's no eliminating and, the information. And, and, that and there it is in black and white. That, that you don't I, have it. That, that, that they knew. Right. That they knew. Right. Second of all, that they knew that I wasn't... I didn't even know government makes an evaluation like that. Yeah, well, <laughs> and that the, the second important thing was that they knew that I was not in the same category as the Soviet spies. And so when the question was asked, why did you make this... And they said, well, we wanted to make sure we put them away. Part of the problem right. was that we didn't know at the time what they were that uh, Alger James and Robert Hansen right. had accused me of being responsible for all the deaths of the CIA and MI6 agents that had, were ongoing in uh, the uh, Soviet Union. So Robert, um, John Loftus, came to see me and he asked me, he Amazing said, uh, when you were in court and the judge asked you, um, did you have any regret for all the deaths you caused? Where was your head? I said, Tunis. Well, I was the intelligence officer that put together the airstrike, the Israeli airstrike to kill Arafat. And we missed him. Right. This was in retaliation for a brutal uh, terrorist attack in Larnaca right. so to Israeli civilians. So the planes went overhead, demolished his headquarters, killed about 90 of his 417 people who had carried out the terrorist attack. We missed him. So I, I answered the judge. I said, yes, I have remorse. And he looked at me. I said that we didn't get one more. So John asked me, you know, your head was in Tunis? I said, where, what, where else would it be? He said, the basement of the Lefortovo prison in Moscow. I said, what am I doing there? He said, uh, Ames had just described to the judge, ex parte, in his chambers, what happened to General Trechikov, a.k.a. his codename was Tricycle, fed feet first into the furnace in the basement of the Lefortovo in front of his family. And he said, now you're telling the judge you just wish there was one more? I said, what did I have to do with the Soviet Union? I, don't, I, I didn't have anything to do. He said, well, 
Ames wrapped you up pretty carefully in that. Right. Can I just tell you that as all this is going on, the public that was concerned about you, one of the arguments that we always made was that your sentence was so much harsher than other international spies, um, or those accused of being it, it international was, spies. It was. But now as you give us this perspective... We There's sh- one more perspective on that. Um, just to finish this, John asked me, did you notice how much security was in the courtroom? I said, it was amazing. I never saw so many heavily armed marshals before. He said, well, there was a reason for that. Um, there were many operations directorate field agents from the CIA that were volunteering to come in and kill you in the courtroom. But I said, I didn't do this. And he said, well, that's irrelevant. And when they finally found out, uh, Senator DeConcini, who was the then chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee had a bipartisan letter that he submitted to Clinton saying, you, you got the wrong guy. Let him go. Well, as it was explained to him, I was valuable as a bargaining chip right. for Clinton. Right. That, was, that whole issue with the Russians was one thing, or the Soviets. John said point blank, I didn't have what's called the red stripe clearance or blue stripe clearances to get into the lists of agents. And if you want to hear irony of irony, the first time I met Rafi Etan, not the chief of staff, but my control officer in Paris, he asked me for a list of all the American agents in Israel. And I said, no. Thank God I said, no. That's not what this operation is about. So he said, I'm telling you, one of them is going to kill you. I said, so be it. But I'm not going to compromise an American agent. And thank God I didn't. Granted, one of them, a CIA plant in the Knesset Foreign Affairs and Defense Committee uh, outed me. I found out because he took the CIA to court in New York for inadequate retirement. He was responsible for catching the notorious spy he didn't like his retirement package. Somebody who was planted in the Israeli Knesset. Yes. Kind of raises the issue of hypocrisy. Oh. Okay. So that whole Soviet issue was one matter. The other matter was that I was, unfortunately, um, very, I was integrally involved with Iran-Contra from the Israeli side. I opened up most of the bank accounts in Switzerland, um, they needed a fresh face that no one would know. It's, it was a Safra bank that was used by all of the intelligence agencies. So they put me out in the open. I mean, it was insane to open up these accounts for both Israelis and Americans. This is where this whole issue of my Swiss bank account came. I didn't have the Swiss bank. I opened it up, and eventually the tax court, after I was sentenced to life, brought this issue up. And they all wanted to know who I opened the accounts up for, the Americans especially. Which Americans did you open up an account for? Let me be very clear about this. All of the Americans that I that they unknowingly worked with me on this case, uh, Iran-Contra, were patriots. 
They didn't make any money on this. This wasn't a business deal for them. They were patriots. They were American patriots. And I just didn't feel that I should compromise them. I never ratted anybody out. And I wasn't going to start doing it there for people that I actually respected. Right. So basically they said, okay, um, we know that this isn't your account because we have it from the bank. You couldn't get back into the account. Mm -hmm. You could open it, but that was it. I said, okay. And they said, no. You tell us the names, or we're going to say this is your account. <laughs> and I said, no. I'm not going to talk. So they said, well, for the next half hour before you're reincarcerated, you're going to be a very rich man. <laughs> because the bank account is yours. And I was privileged and honored many many years later after I got out uh, on parole to meet two of the people that I basically um, had the honor of protecting right. and will continue to protect even though one of them is now dead. This, this segment began with me commenting about your memory, and I think I've proven my point based on your response, frankly, but, but let me ask but you. Wait, but yes. wait, there's <laughs> more. There's yeah. more behind door number two. Yes. Just a second, wait. Um, there are all types of memory, a photographic memory. Right. I've learned quite right. a bit but since then. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. Um, people, some people can remember pictures. Every aspect of a picture. Some people can remember faces. Maybe not the names, but the faces. And there's some people that can remember precisely what they read. There are all kinds of photographic memories. I remember when they accused me in court of having a photographic memory. Uh, I turned to my lawyer and I said in a very loud voice, what is my name and what am I doing in here? It's a joke. I mean, I had to joke. This is like in court in New York. Um, the last court case I was in where the judge hmm, accused me of being the most dangerous man in America. I remember that quote. Do right. you remember that? I remember that quote. Yeah. And when I got outside, well, I started laughing in court. So she said, you know, is there something funny? Do you want to tell, tell me what's so funny? Mm -hmm. I said, nothing that I, 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 I want to repeat because I could be held in contempt. Well, she didn't get it until a few seconds later. You know, I was talking about her. Yeah. Well, it was too late. So when I got outside, um, there was a reporter that came up to me and said, you know, Jonathan, the judge just characterized you as the most dangerous man in America. How, what's your response? So I looked at my lawyer, uh, Elliot Lauer, who's a great guy, and um, he said, go, go ahead, just say what you want. So I said, look, the only thing I represent a threat to is a hot pastrami sandwich, that's all. And okay, that's again, you survive by a sense of humor. Oh, I get that. I but, mean, but I asked you about your memory because I'm curious if you remember the majority, or would you even argue most or all of the visits you had in prison? I, if I, I told you a random story about a visit, would, would it? Would it likely mean something to you or not? I have no idea. I don't want to... Were there thousands of people who came to see you? Hundreds? No, How many? No, no. They were, they were restricted on who could come. Did you see 10 a year, 100 a year? I mean... Uh, honestly, it's, it's hard to say. Maybe, you know, Esther came all the time. 
um, Rabbi Pesach Lerner, who was, I don't know, we never would have lived without him. He, he was our connection to you, frankly. He came all the time. Um, there were some other people that came routinely to see me. I mentioned this because a friend of mine went to see you, at, who actually lives in one of the quote-unquote settler communities of Israel. I don't know if you remember this visit or not. And um, the, the people that escorted the visitors into your room or the room where you met were generally not friendly to your visitors, right? I, no. I, I, right, that's how it was described to me. They were yeah. not people, you, 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 couldn't, you couldn't schmooze with them on the way in. However, this person uh, had carried with him into your visit, which was illegal. I don't think anybody was allowed to carry anything into a visit. But he snuck in a card, uh, an ID card of his father, who served as a, an officer in the United States Air Force. And he showed this to the gentleman that escorted him into the room. And they thought it was him? They didn't think it was, I don't know if they thought it was him, they, maybe they did, but they instantly, he was able, he claims he was able to start a conversation with the person no, because, because he had a measure were, of respect for him. Well, most of them were ex-military to begin with. Meaning those, the, the, the ones guarding you, etc. Yeah, most of the guards so, were ex-military. So he's able to strike up a conversation that asks him, asks him, what is the story here with, with Jonathan? Like, what is the... What is the eventuality? What is the, from your point of view, what's the assessment? And he said, and I could put you in touch with this gentleman. He said to him, we never expected him to live this long. We never expected him to be able to endure what has been done to him. And based on what you told me about your first seven years, and then the likely, you know, unpleasant experience after that, you could understand where he was there coming from. There were many instances that I thought it was over. Um, when people ask me, was it more dangerous in open population or isolation? I said, no, isolation was far because you're fighting yourself in your claustrophobia and your fear of being buried alive and all of these things. So that was more uncomfortable for me than it was being out in the open with a bunch of murderers. Um, you know, yeah, I saw a lot of very bad things I saw a lot of good things as well in prison. Um, virtuous things by people you wouldn't expect to exhibit those kinds of qualities, character qualities. How do you know they don't have an, an, an ulterior motive when they're doing something nice for you? Or? It wasn't nice to me. There was a man in our unit who was dying of pancreatic cancer. That's very painful. <laughs> And he had embarrassed the prison system by breaking out of virtually every prison they put him in without harming anybody. So, yeah, he robbed a bank with the warden's car and parked the car. You know, they arrested the warden. It, they, he was a pretty funny guy, but he was dying in great pain. They wouldn't give him any painkillers. So one night, you know, he was begging for people to kill him just to put him, he didn't have enough strength to do it. So I came and sat down next to him. I held his hand and I said, um, look, you have to live. It's very important that you live another day. And he said, why? And I said, because it's another day to thank God, to bless God. And he looked at me like I was from Mars. And all of a sudden, this other guy who had done almost 40 years in prison, drug charge, wouldn't talk, ripped a pain patch off his arm. He was dying of cancer, 
Vicodin patch, and it leaves, if you rip it off, it leaves in a, a, a blue mark. And that's five years day for day. And he was getting out in two weeks to go home to die with the remnants of his family in his own house. And we all looked at him and he said, I said, what did you do? You're going, you're going home. You know, by our standards, an honest man, you, you kept your mouth shut. You didn't cause anybody any, any harm. He said, I can't, after I heard what you said, um, he said, I'm going to die soon. And I have to have one good thing. I can tell God that I did to make up for this horrible life. Alleviating that I've man's had. pain. Correct. So he put the pain patch on and, okay, within an hour he was arrested and ratted him out. Somebody ratted him out. So the next day, almost everybody on the compound, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, was lining up in the um, internal security office to plead for this guy. Don't charge him. Let him go home. I'd never seen anything like that before. So when I came in and sat down, the guy looked at me and said, what do you, you don't talk to us. What are you doing here? And I explained it, and he said, you see that shredded paper on the floor? I said, yeah. He said, that's the charge. I can't, in good faith, charge this guy with what he did. He said, I've never seen it before. So when he left, about two weeks later, everybody came out basically to say goodbye, which if you knew prison poli racial politics, that doesn't happen. But for this one moment of decency and altruism and real compassion, everybody came out. So that's the good thing. I don't want to go into the bad things right. because I'll let your imagination take care of that. But this... Ish, this incident um, is what I like to take away from my with my prison experience. Did you know that? Did you know beforehand that you had the fortitude to survive those thirty years? I, I, I say that in the context of today. We were discussing off the air earlier how a lot of people who are in these very sensitive situations right now, especially here in Israel, IDF soldiers, hostage families, etc., they are learning something about themselves that they probably did not know in advance. Did you know? Going in that you could, that you had what it takes? Of course not. No, but nobody does. Um, that's why when that door shut and I'm in a small room, 150 meters underground, nothing to read, nothing to write, no one to see. I mean, you're buried alive and there's only two ways out and one of which, well, both of which you can't do. Um... That's when you either give in to despair or you reach for a higher power that's beyond you. You know, there's an old statement, and I didn't understand it until I got out of that hole, that bore, that um, a man who had gone through, it's an apocryphal story, but a man who had gone through terrible ordeals um, had a talk with God he said that, you know, sometimes when I was walking along the beach, I only saw my own footprints. And God answered him by saying, no, that's when I was carrying you. And that's how you felt. Yeah. yeah. What's it like walking in the streets of Jerusalem today? What is that feeling like? What would you, how would you describe it to someone? I'm reborn. Reborn. 
in a very Jewish sense. In a very, very Jewish sense. I mean, this is my reward. To be a free person in our own land. Were you worried you'd never be part of that reward or see that reward or experience that reward? Did I think I would? Well, look, at one point, John Kerry proposed a deal as Secretary of State. We're talking about what year now? I honestly can't remember. (laughs) But when he he was uh, Secretary of State, and what he did was propose that um, I would be released in exchange for some horrible terrorists here. Right. By the way, one of dozens of deals that we've read about in advance of this conversation. And there were dozens. And dozens that were very close. And dozens that a lot of people took credit for that I don't know if you would give them the same credit. I don't credit. know. I mean, I was packed out ready to go many times. Many? Many times. More than just the Clinton Netanyahu? Many, many times. The fact the first person that um, secured my release was um, Yitzhak Rabin. Everything was arranged. After the uh, signing of the Jordanian peace treaty in the Rose Garden, I was to come home. He arranged it. And he was assassinated. And when Shimon Peres, as as the prime minister, came to Clinton and said, you know, I would like Jonathan to come home now, Clinton's answer was, that deal was with your predecessor. So I want you to release four or five hundred Palestinian terrorists. So he was still willing to do it, but he increased. The buses buses were blowing up, and Perez said, I I can't do that. That's impossible. And Clinton said, that's the deal. This is mid-'90s. You're you're a victim of circumstance of what's going on here in Israel at that time. And, okay, so... So Kerry, you were saying... Pardon? Kerry, you were talking about the Kerry deal. Yeah, see my memory. (laughs) Kerry... I overestimated so, you. I apologize. Thank you. What? <laughs> Who? What am I doing here? <laughs> um, and, but that the, was Stockdale's but, quote, by the way. Yeah. Admiral Stockdale was the yeah. one with Oh, the, that was horrible. During that vice presidential Did you watch debate. That? Yeah. Did they let you watch Who TV am I there? and what am I doing here? They well, let you watch? What happens is you go to the officer and you want to talk to him about something and you keep looking at the TV. <laughs> there are tricks you learn about things wow. like this. All right. So go ahead. Terry. So um, the, the catch was I would never be allowed to go home. You'd stay Israel. in the United States. Even if I'm, I died, the body has to stay in uh, the, US. the U.S. So Bibi, in the cabinet meeting, put it to Esther, alayhi shalom. Um, you have to bring this deal to Jonathan, and whatever he agrees with, okay, we'll, we'll abide by well, some people might say that it's unethical to bring an offer like that to a man in my position at the time who had no hope at all of getting out. Okay. But Bibi knew me well enough. It wasn't a risk he was taking. <laughs> all right. So Esther came, and she described this whole situation to me. And she said, before you answer, I want you to know something, that whether you decide to stay in prison here or take the deal and come out never to return to Eretz Israel, I will stay with you in the Midbar. That's why that quote from Tehillim, I put 
over her grave. I knew you in your youth when you were in the midbar. So I looked at her and I said, um, okay, I'll give you my answer. No. On the spot, you said no. no. She said, look, I need a little bit longer answer. I have to More brief, explanation. I have to brief the cabinet. So I said, okay, hell no. That was your uh, was the long it. version. Yeah, so <laughs> she said, look, you're supposedly an educated person. <laughs> Give me an educated <laughs> answer that doesn't make me look like an idiot when I go back. So I said, okay, there are three reasons why I can't accept this. One, it devalues the lives of the victims. Second of all, it lowers deterrence. Because Deals. they look at Deals what's happening lower, now. Okay. Deals lower the terms. Right. The third reason is it would cause immeasurable pain to the victims' families that I didn't have the strength to just honor their korbanot. So I said, for those three reasons, I, can't, I have to say no. So she looked at me and she said, that's a very good answer, but it's not the Jewish answer. She was my mora, Esther, so I listened. She studied with Rav Emanuel Shochet in Canada. Um, most rabbis I know who knew her said that if uh, the rabbinate was ever open, the orthodox rabbinate was ever open to women, she would probably be the first one given smicha. So I said, okay, what's the Jewish answer? And she said, as Jews, we live for... Eretz Yisrael, Am Yisrael, Alpitorat Yisrael. Those are our three principles that we organize our life around as nationalist Jews. Halacha is a little different, but these are, as a nationalist Jew, this is what we live for. And she said, if you decided to stay in the Midbar, you would be making the same mistake that the Meraglim made when they cursed the land in order to maintain their COVID in the Midbar. And she said, we've been paying for that ever since. So she said, when you go before Kodesh Baruch Hu, however long you have to live, but when you go before him, he doesn't have to ask you, why did you forsake my land that I gave to your, you, you people? Why? She said, you won't have to answer that. So she said, you have two choices on how to come home. You can come home an old man in a body bag and be buried in Knesset Yisrael. Or she said, you can come home as an old man and kiss the ground. Those are your two choices. And I said, well, can I come home as a slightly younger man? <laughs> and, you know, Not so old. Say, you know, go to Mahamachpela uh, in Hebron and, uh, you know, thank God for saving me. And she said, no, those are your choices. And I said, fine, put my name on it. So that's who and what she was. And um, so I had some cabinet members try to ask me directly at the time, um, can't you be a little bit more accommodating? Flexible. Flexible. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry. I mean, I see life in black and white especially here, when, when Esther was dying, literally, and I was holding her, counting her breaths until there weren't any more, she said, take my mask off. 
I was in the COVID ICU. I was the first and only one that was allowed in. Um, I had to. I was in an army chemical warfare suit, and the head nurse said, "You can't leave here for 72 hours or 80 hours. However long she's alive, you can't live. If you have to go to the bathroom, you do it in this suit. And she can't take it off." So, all right, I was. I God gave me 72 hours with her to take care of her at the end. Thank, thank God. It was a madhouse in there of people screaming for their mothers, their wives, their children. I mean, it was a level of hell I didn't even, Dante wouldn't have even recognized. So she's, I took her mask off, and she said, take your mask off. Take it off. And I had nothing at that moment left to live for, so no problem. I took my whole hood off. And she said, listen to me. When I'm gone, they're coming for you. And I knew who she meant, the politicians. And she, she was the gatekeeper. So she said, um, what is politics? Now this woman is dying. She has minutes to live. And this is what she's talking about to me. What is politics? And I said, sweetheart, you're not going to live long enough for me to give you the full academic <laughs> definition. She laughed kind of mirthlessly. And she said, politics is the art of compromise. What are you willing to compromise? Maharata Machpela, Tekoa, Har Habayit, Kever Rachel, Kever Yosef, Kashrut, Shabbat. What are you willing to compromise? And I said to her, nothing. I won't compromise anything. And she said, remember that. Don't ever compromise. Wow. And then she went downhill. Wow. Seconds after that, she went downhill. So yet another explanation for us about some of the positions you take that are hard ironclad and you simply have no desire to, I won't, to move I, in one direction no, or the other. No, I, I will not be moved. I know what's right. If I have a question, I go ask Das Torah from rabbis that I deeply respect, Pesach Lerner being one of them. Well, for a good reason. For a very good reason. Um, if we, and again, remember, I'm growing up through the whole Pollard situation. Right. right? I'm now 60. You are 69. <laughs> you're 69. I'm going to be and, 70 and, soon. And you imagine, <laughs> I, I was probably around 20, 25 years old when mm -hmm. all this becomes known to the public and Pollard becomes an issue right. in the Jewish world. And um, every single step of the way, we are shown that everyone, government, CIA, FBI, I'm throwing around organizations, I don't know exactly what they do in your regard, but you know, we're convinced that they're going to use every opportunity to keep you incarcerated, to give you a life sentence, to be Correct. completely unfair on every step of the way compared to other sentences. I mean, these are the arguments. You heard, you heard all these arguments. How is it possible, I ask you then, that they didn't figure out a way to keep you in after 30 years? They couldn't find a way to actually prove some small, some violation in the 30 years you're in the system that would have kept all these guys, whether it's Weinbergers, Rabritsky, and all, all of them, in, in the State Department happy that you're still in jail. At one point, excuse me, sir. Point. Edward Black, the noted historian, interviewed 
Weinberger on the occasion of his memoirs being published. And Weinberger, Ed asked him about my case. Why Just wasn't lift I? The, lift the mic address. Yeah. Sorry, Ed. Yeah. Why wasn't my name mentioned in his memoirs? So he said, well, it was because the Pollard affair was a minor matter, made more important. To Casper Weinberger? Yeah, he said this, made more important than it was. So Ed, you know, like, what? In the what? Jewish world, we felt it was the number one thing on his list. Yeah, no. So Ed said, why? I mean, this is contrary to what you wrote the judge. And he said, uh, you know, powers above me made that decision. Like, who's above him? The president? He, he, he made it up. But he's again passing the buck. So he died shortly that, after that interview. So we went to the um, ethics division of the Justice Department and said, you know, come on. It's clear that he perjured himself a second time. First was Iran-Contra, now this. And they, their attitude was water under the bridge. They didn't want to touch it. There were many instances where things that were char alleged that I had done were, were disproven conclusively. Even Tenet, the then head of the CIA, right. the director, who had no love for me, admitted that um, there was no evidence that any of the information that I had passed to Israel had been compromised to anybody else. Wow. Okay, that's kind of important. The fact that, here's this thing. Nobody reads my indictment. If you read my indictment, it says... They don't said, know what you're accused of. Or what I'm accused of. It says in black and white, I acted without intent to harm the United States. Wow. You know, intent is very important in the law. So here, it's the government saying that. So when I finally, after 20 years, got my, a document that showed exactly what harm I had done, it took me 20 years to get it. And I understood why when I saw it. What did the government actually say that, I, that we didn't know about? Well, they had to be pretty accurate for the judge, right? So what they said was, I angered our Arab allies in the Middle East by, in their estimation, by making Israel too strong, alavai, and that the information that I did give Israel while it was supposed to have been given, right. resulted in the United States losing negotiating advantage. Okay, I'm sorry. That's not the stuff of the most dangerous man in the, in the United States. Right. So back to my question, can we find something wrong that happened in those 30 years or not? <laughs> except, except, again, remember, God runs the world. So what happened? What actually happened? The, the Jikpoa, the deal with Iran. There were a group of senators that were meeting with... Um, an individual from the White House who didn't want to sign on to all of this. So this guy came to meet them. What did he talk about? He said, the president has decided that Pollard would be on parole. Oh, wow. It completely deflected everything. Why? How did this happen? What, you know, what happened? 
what happened was the announcement of my eventual release on parole was accompanied by a barrage of anti-Israel statements that I was the worst spy, had done immense damage, that uh, it was typical of the Israelis, of what they, we were, we're so kind to them, we give them everything, and look, they put a spy in our midst, and look at the damage that he's, I mean, it was all over again, recycled. So it was an attempt, and we've gotten this later from, confirmed by people in the government, that it was an effort by the Obama White House to blacken Israel by using me. And to keep you in prison, essentially. No, no. They were going to release me, but they wanted me out so that they could basically point to me. They could get reporters to come near me and ask me provocative questions, and et cetera, et cetera. But if you look at the, the news surrounding the report of my release, it's all negative. Yeah. I mean... They wanted to paint that picture specifically. They wanted, but it wasn't of me. Israel. It was of Israel. And uh, so it was actually a Ness. It's like Balaam and Balak. They came to curse Israel. And, and, but you are telling and, me that it was a miracle. You're telling me that God runs the world and that I sort of have God, a, good, a good premise here. God That, that the way the, things were going the prior 30 years. They, I wasn't they, getting out. Right. They in were going to think in, of it. Fact, That's why people like me, the regular Balabas in America, were shocked that you were paroled. The first parole hearing I went to, and I had to go. I was, I was... In 2015 or much earlier? In it, was, it was about a year before. The, 2014. the end of 2014. It was a disaster. I mean, they were so negative towards me and so offensive. And you left thinking? I, there's no way. Right. In fact, at one point, the head of the National Security Directorate of the Justice Department was just absolutely blackening me. We had submitted documentation showing that I had certain... Uh, projects that I'd been working on in prison that would benefit the economy of the United States. And he didn't care. I mean, he was, so I finally said, can I say something? It's on TV. And Elliot Lauer, my lawyer, said, Jonathan, <laughs> no profanity, <laughs> okay? I, I thought he was going to say no jokes. No, no, right. no, this is not prison, okay? I mean, this is not a prison right. conversation, please. And I said, it's, it's okay. I looked at the guy and I said, you know what? You hate more, me more than you love the United States. And he came up, I, he, I had the right response. I mean, he came up out of his seat screaming and yelling. I was mo very gratified. So the second time we went for parole, I just thought, this is going to be a repeat performance. And next thing I know, it's directly opposite. They're talking about my release and that I have to wear a GPS and this and that. And I looked at Elliot. He was completely uh, flummoxed. He said, where did this come from? And that's why you're saying Billum-like because Billum. God puts the... Because it's the same people who just a few months before called, so me, harsh, right? called me everything but a white man. <laughs> that's a prison joke, by the way. That's <laughs> all right. Is yeah, from. you don't have to laugh. I'm like Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> well, I'm dying up here. You gotta you know? know you're, you're by the way, <laughs> I went to Dangerfield's once, stupidly. And I sat in the front row. This was many, many years ago before I got arrested. And for some reason, he picked on me. Imagine that. And um, 
Okay. Anyway, I mean, he yeah. was he was a nice guy afterwards. I got a free watered down drink. You know, <laughs> that was. I said to him, you know, if I wanted bottled water, I would have I would have asked for it. So he smelled it. He said, "Oh my God!" He said he went and got me a real drink. Um, nice guy, nice guy. He said some horrible things to me. If I really gave a hell about myself, I would have been really insulted. Hey, you see, he started preparing you for. Yeah, he started preparing me for for Imagine prison. That. Yeah, you're nothing. Yeah, I'm nothing. Um, so it was a miracle that they, they let me out. And it was a miracle. There was another miracle that happened just before um, we came to the time where they had to make a decision whether my parole was over and I could go home. Right, five years. Yeah, or, or what. And we were down to hours where they had to make a decision or else... I would have to stay in, and that decision would be made by the, the succeeding administration of Joe Biden. And we found out that um, they wanted to keep me in prison. Oh, so wait a second. With another Im- indictment. There were, why? I never talked. They wanted me to talk. And remember that issue, and I'm going to get back to this. So I needed a passport to get out. And I said, well, I have an Israeli passport. And he said, no, as a dual national. Right, you became an Israeli you need, citizen. Right, okay, I need an American passport. State Department said, yeah, it'll take about nine months. And it was COVID, Had another two months. Yeah. So, um, the, the reason I'm the, interrupting is because the rumor is that Donald Trump gets some credit here. No. Not true? No. Uh, the people that, that, first of all, Trump never objected to it. So let's... Right, give let's, him credit for that. Let's... Put that on the table. He never objected to it, uh, number one. Number two, uh, his chief of staff, um, who's now under the gun in Georgia. Oh, for, yeah. I, I can never, see, I yeah, can never. Bo- both of us now both are drawing can, a blank. Can. But this, <laughs> Anybody want to volunteer your name yeah, here? <laughs> but, but, but both he and his wife were in the White House. And um, Mark. Um, uh, say it. Meadows? Meadows. Meadows. Okay, I had the first name. I had the first name. I get some partial credit for I that. I like that. Um, he, I consider to be an honest, um, God-fearing Christian. I, I'd never really run into one before, but he was one. He and his wife. And I'm sorry for the trouble he's in now. Misplaced, misguided loyalty. If he had, I, I asked him to stay as a congressman from North Carolina, and he said, I can control him. I said, anytime you, anybody, has to say, I can control the president of the United States, you better rethink that. They're fooling themselves. Okay. So it was Mark Meadows, wow. Ron Dermer, Ron Dermer, um, and Miriam and Sheldon Adelson. Of course, Esther... They all played roles in this. You don't mention Bibi and you don't mention Trump. These are the four that you give the credit to. Those were the four. So the night before Christmas, (laughs) and it was really loud in the house because we were living on East 49th. It was really loud. Um, Let off Rummy know we're going to go overtime. Go ahead, I'm sorry. We got a call. I got a call from Ron Dermer. And he said, you got to get across to Hudson Yards on the other side of Manhattan. And I'm looking, it's gridlock. 
Why? He said, there's a passport waiting for you. I said, how did this happen? He said, uh, Pompeo. Another name then we have to right. give credit to. He said, Mike Pompeo called the passport office and said, this guy is coming in. I don't care what information he gives you. Wow. You put it down in the passport wow. and you get it done. So we walked out. Esther and I walked outside. There were some good people out there. And this, the um, car came in. There's a Jamaican roll down the window and pot smoke just poured out. And I said, can you get me to the Hudson Yards? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm on the immigration office. He knew that. I said, I got 20 minutes. I, gave, I showed him a $100 bill, and I said, you get to party tonight. If, if, if you, if you can get, get me, me there, there. At he minutes. did. One-way streets, <laughs> sidewalks. You figured it's not the most dangerous stuff you've That's been involved That's a motivation. With. Look, this guy was going to party that night one way or the other. So 20 minutes later, maybe a half hour later, we walked out of the building, and I had a brand-new passport. Wow. And so the next day, uh, Miriam sent a beautiful car for us, and we got there. We took all our stuff on the airplane because we were coming into lockdown, into Bidud, so we brought food and everything. And we got on the plane. There's no security anywhere, no customs, no police. The whole place was empty. The jet still had its motors running. So we got on and uh, took off, and everybody was clapping. And I said... Everybody no. means how many people were on that plane? Oh, Ten? About. And um, until we crossed the international line, I was expecting jets to come up and turn us around. The funny thing that happened when we landed, BB had promised Trump in writing there would be no publicity. Right. Okay, everybody was there. Right. So he's standing at the bottom of the staircase, and I turned to Esther, and I said, well, I'll tell you exactly what I said. I said, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I said, the Prime Minister, BB is out there. What am I supposed to say? Oh. And she leaned back, and she said, I'm retired. <laughs> That's it. She said, you're on your own, You're kid. on your own. <laughs> so as we were leaving the airplane, well, one of the co-pilots, they had double crew because they had to leave, ran down, and he's yelling something at BB, pointing at the airplane. BB's laughing, and he's yelling. He didn't know who he was. He thought he was groundskeeper, a groundsman. And he was yelling at him to get on the airplane and get the luggage oh off. Oh, my gosh. And BB is standing there laughing, and finally the co-pilot said, do you understand English? And he put his hands on BB, and that's when the security right. came. <laughs> they so they he, set him straight. <laughs> he ran up the stairs and locked himself in the bathroom in the back of the airplane. I don't blame him. So as we left, the pilot, was an old guy, looked at me, and he said, you know, who are you? He had no idea who I was. And uh, I used a line that I, from a hero of mine, I said, I'm just an old Jew returning to his homeland. And he looks at me and he said, you're not Meyer Lansky. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you're right. <laughs> Baruch Hashem, you're, you're right. Well, Baruch Hashem, you're not, because Lansky had a much different fate. Um, Meyer but Lansky, we don't have to get into that Meyer, now, Meyer Lansky, in what? my books, was a Jewish hero. I'm sorry. Agreed, but you'd also agree he was betrayed by the state of Israel, Yes, no? because they sent him back. Correct. I felt, um, I understood how he felt when they sent him back. I, and it was the most disgusting thing. After everything he did for Israel in 1948, 
Every, people will be amazed if they heard the mysterious nefesh that this guy had for, for Eretz Yisrael at that time. And, and what did they do? Extradited. They, throw, they extradited him. Yeah. So um, everything, there were so many op- opportunities that could have, aside, or situations that could have Aside from the BB greeting, there was also, there were some celebrations, am I right? Or not, not saying that you planned the celebrations, but were you ever, you went straight into Bidud? Straight into... Uh, and again, it was very familiar to me. Lockdown, yeah. bars. How ironic, you get to Israel yeah, and, and, and you're in lockdown. And when I finally, you know, I'm not four hours here. I'm tired, and the door knocks. Open up the door. Someone I know in the prime minister's office. He just walks in. <laughs> Make yourself at home. So I shut the door, and Esther came out, and she looked at me, and she screamed at me. She said, you're in your underwear. And I, I'm a typical male. I just said, but they're clean. <laughs> I mean, what do you want from me? They're clean, you know. I, I don't have to, she threw a coat on me. And he said, um, I'm coming from the Rosh Hashanah. I have an offer. Um, number five. On the list? On the list. So I looked at Esther and, you know, she was making coffee. And I said, not acceptable. So he said, I've given powers to negotiate. I said, okay. I want to be number one. Just wait. So he said, Jonathan, you can't be. That's BB's slot. BB's slot. <laughs> I said, that's what I want. You want me? It's, I want to be number one. He said, look, we're making an honest offer to you. We haven't made this offer to anyone else. This is a golden opportunity for you to, re, to integrate into the you know, halls of power, you know? to make up for the 30 years that you, you know. So I looked at him and I said, you know, for as long as I've known you, and it's been a long time, you've never lied to me until right now. What do you mean? I said, I'm the third person you offered this poison chalice to this morning. You knew this for a fact? So he said, how do you know that? I said, well, I just got it confirmed. You just guessed it. I said, it's the oldest interrogation trick in the world. I had already been called by somebody and to prepare myself that, he, that he's coming. And he's already been to two other people. Wouldn't that have been a terrible slap in the face to the United States and Trump if you'd be a member of, of government? Or At be- that particular time, you know what? If Trump had been president, no. It, it would have been okay. Um, because... I would have said the right things, you know, thank you. Right, that's I, my life yeah, is... Yeah, he was more concerned while he was in office. Right, right my life is right. turned around. Right. I thank you. I'm, I'm going to be the best, you know, friend that the United States ever had here. Right. You know, God for... You know. No, I hear whatever, that. Whatever, whatever. So it, it could have been right. finessed. Um, so it, coming into Bidud here, into... It was, uh, I finally came out of it, and uh, the first thing I wanted to do was just walk down uh, Jaffa Street, and there was nobody there. It was kind of like a post-apocalyptic type dystopian environment. There was, except for the cats, there was just (laughs) nobody, nobody, there was nobody. And, you know, coming out of New York, where we went kind of through the same thing, you know, it was not as shocking as it could have been, but... um, 
Yeah. Uh, amazing that you've spent this entire hour with us. I still have three personal matters I'd like to address sure. with you, if I may. Absolutely. Um, are you aware of the fact, and I'm sort of being uh, rhetorical with this because I can't imagine the answer is no. Are you aware of the fact that hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Jews prayed for your release? In the Mizrahi Apollo Mizrahi, where I've davened for the last 30 years, or at least when I moved into lower Manhattan until COVID, every Shabbat, we said a mishaber. I said it very often. I was the leader very often. We said a mishaberach for you. And, and I must add this because you must hear this. When you were released, we refused to stop saying the mishaberach because your wish was not to be released. Your wish was to be babayit Correct. here in Israel. When Correct. you finally got to Israel, we declared in the synagogue, this custom is now over. Um, let me answer this or respond to this with a story about Esther. People would come up to her here and apologize for not doing more to help me get out. And she would look at them and she said, um, ask them, have you davened? Have you said tefillot for him? Um, yes. She said, well, Hashem has a kos shel tefillot for Yonatan in Shemaim. And when that kos is filled, he will come home. So thank you for helping. Adding to it. To, to add to that. And I th t want to take this opportunity to thank both you and everybody else who davened for me. But you have to understand that I have a tremendous amount of responsibility now to live up to this kind of Ahavas Yisrael by what I do here. It's not enough to just come out. You, people just don't come out like this and do nothing. You actually have to do something tachlis. You have to do something practical to say thank you. And I'm, I'm trying to do that now with some of my business projects that will benefit Israel. But um, come the election, the new elections, again, um, my obligation to Esther, responsibilities to her, her dying advice to me, and to everybody who davened for my release is not to compromise, right. not to bend. I want people to feel good about the fact that they helped, helped God release me. So... And by the way, people may be surprised that I didn't focus more in this conversation about what's happening today, but this policy of yours, I think, gives everyone a perspective of what you think of today's situation and how, how bending or being flexible and listening to the Americans can only be detrimental to Correct. the state of Israel. Absolutely. So I think people understand that. Yeah, we're a nation that dwells apart, and we can take care of ourselves. We have a good army. As long as we remain faithful to Hashem. You would recommend not taking a penny of aid from the United States, I would assume. Ever. Ever. Right. It's like giving drugs to somebody. It's, it's, they, it reads... You, you, you are now under their control. Yeah, well, you're, right. you're like dependent then. Right. Um, you were involved, this is the second thing I want to tell you, you were involved in one of the, one of the most interesting stories of my career without you even knowing. We, we were scheduled to come visit you. Yes. 
Um, you were visited by a, I think it was a congressional delegation. It was so long ago, I honestly don't remember. Another Thank you. <laughs> but it was, I think it was a congressional delegation, some local elected officials, and they invited me along to come to the, uh, to the visit. And of course, I was so thrilled that I would have this opportunity to come and speak to you. The night before, now you have to remember something. I don't know if you ever heard of me before today, frankly, but you have to, oh, have you? Thank you. <laughs> okay. What do you think? <laughs> Thank you. We answered that question. <laughs> so, so the the so I, I I know who you are. Thank you very You're much. You're George Soros, aren't you? <laughs> you met you met some of my I protégés. know all about you. You met some of my protégés in government. Uh, Shonda. <laughs> so I'm in this small radio station, college radio station, and trying to make believe that I'm a real journalist. Yeah. And, you know, doing this morning show for the Jewish world, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, and you know, and, and at the same time, I'm invited to come visit you the night. before before. I'll never forget this phone call. My house, we had no cell phones. I will never forget this phone call. And the night before, one of the elected officials calls me and says, the FBI, I think they said FBI, I don't know which organization would be responsible for it, has nixed your participation hmm. in this trip to Jonathan Pollock. I said, why? You're a journalist. And this is, I said, you know, I've been fighting my entire well, life being taken as now, a serious journalist. All of a sudden, see, now I'm a serious you journalist. See, it's not, not everybody that that dumps on you uh, is a bad person. And that was a good thing that happened because, um, yes, it validated the fact that you were a journalist. <laughs> I'm being polite right thank now. Thank you. My mother uh, thanks you. <laughs> now, well, you're not a doctor or a plumber or a lawyer. That, that was actually, it was a doctor, lawyer, and plumber. That's what my mother said to me. She said, you have three options in this in country, life. plumber may be first. But plumber, all right. Now, a plumber would be first. No, I mean, to interview with a journalist, what happened eventually was that the journalist and I had to sign a document that said that the government would retain ownership of the interview if it were an electronic interview right. and that they would apportion out what they deemed to be appropriate to the journalist and that they were not responsible for any, here it comes, misuse of the interview. So I asked Alan Dershowitz, I said, what, what does that mean? He said, they're going to cut and paste. Right. So the question that you'll be asked, do you consider yourself a traitor? They'll figure out where you said yes, and they'll just edit it in. That's what they, he said, you can't do this. It's against your First Amendment rights. So, um, Okay. But so there, so there, we, was a, we, there was a big difference when you met with a journalist or with a sympathetic elected official. Right. Because they was, knew was, that the journalist conversation would become somehow part of the public record, so to correct. speak. Correct. And they correct. wanted to make sure to stop. Correct. Correct. To stop the, the information that you wanted to go out. Well, they knew I out. wasn't going to say anything. I right. shouldn't. But and I would assume there are other people in the room as this is happening, right? I would assume. Look, the, the whole thing broke when I had a journalist come to see me. And he was asking me a whole bunch of questions about the sensitivity of the information and everything else. And the, the monitors were looking, waiting, looking at me, like, how am I going to answer this? Because they were ready to come down on me for violating whatever. I thought about it, and I said, um, look, you understand that I was not indicted for intent to harm. You understand that? Yes, that's black and white. And you understand that there is some information that is so sensitive 
that if compromised to anybody, even the closest of friends, could inflict incalculable damage on the national security. Would you agree with that? Even if my intent were not to harm the United States, there is certain information that is so potentially damaging, which if compromised, um, would justify the imposition of a charge, an indictment of intentional harm, intent to harm. And he listened and he said, yes. Okay, I understand that. So I said, so what is your conclusion by the fact that I was never charged with intent to harm? And he looked at the monitors and he looked back, he said, they're BSing. I said, thank you. And I looked at the monitor and he was trying to figure out some way of claiming that I violated security or whatever. And I couldn't. I mean, he couldn't. It's just common logic. So, okay, you're a journalist now. You get to wear long pants. It's fine. Um, You're no no longer a bocher. Thank you for the approbation. (laughs) And finally, uh, for me, I saved the best for last. I I never thought in my life I'd I'd be able to thank you for this face-to-face personally. You, um, You were asked to speak at Shifra Hoffman's funeral, correct? By the way, she said paranoid Jews live longer. Agree or disagree? Oh, I I should live at least to 120 then. I mean, even paranoid Jews have real enemies. I can't remember who said that, but... It (laughs) It may have been her. It may may have been her. It may have been the continuation of her theory. it may have been her. You You spoke at her funeral. At the Leviah, yeah. The next funeral after hers was for my dear friend, Mayor Weingarten. And our good friend Carney walked up to you, and she said the person we're about to bury had a strong connection to you. I don't remember the exact word she used when she introduced it. And you said, what do you mean? So she said that he, meaning Mayor, my closest friend, who we lost, unfortunately, a couple of years ago suddenly, Mayor had 15 seconds with President Bill Clinton Mm to say to him, ask him whatever he wanted. As many people do, you go to a meeting with the president and everyone has a chance to walk by him, shake his hand and say something, right? I met George Bush, what did I say to him? I said, thank you for what you do for Israel and the Jewish people. Was it the right thing to do? I don't know, but that's what came to my mind that I said it. Okay. Mayor Weingarten, Carney says to you, we have this on video, by the way. Carney says to you, Yigal was right there. He was right next to you when this happened, waiting for the funeral to start. Carney says to you, that mayor, our dear friend, Mayor Weingarten, who, by the way, had a, an apartment right here on Rehov Jabotinsky, he, he, he saw President Clinton for 15 seconds and used the opportunity to ask him to do everything in his power to free Jonathan Pollard. You said to Carney in response, I hope that stands in good measure in Shemayim. I wish our leaders had the kind of courage as had the kind of courage as mayor had you said this with his name every time a jew shows this is you speaking every time a jew shows no fear and stands up for his brothers and sisters that's achtus you told a story then to her from kever yosef mm. with a soldier that you were with at Kever Yosef. And that, based on that episode, you said, this is how we know we're going to win. Correct. Because of the achdus and unity, which, by the way, 
if there is any positive byproduct of this war, you'd have to agree. I'm on record as saying that. That if there is a silver lining to this otherwise black event, um, it's that people now are together and their eyes are open. You said, you continued, we know the expression, the slogan in our tradition, you save one life, you save a world. And then you concluded by saying to her, and I felt you said this to all of us who were his friends, I would have been there if not for COVID. You were very privileged and lucky to know him. Mm. Can't thank you enough for that. Um, from one Jew to another, yeah. And he spends the 15 seconds concerned about you. Um, we ha- if we don't, if you cannot feel the pain of your brother or sister as if it's your own, if you can't feel the pain of the land as is violated by our enemies, and if you can't feel the fear of our children when they have 15 seconds or 20 seconds to run to a bomb shelter to escape a rocket, then I really question your lineage. You have to be willing to put your life on the line if necessary for your brothers and sisters. You have to. We don't live for the present. We live for Shemaim. And so when you run across people like this, you have to say, Baruch Hashem. There was somebody that stood up. There was somebody that was a starker yid. There was somebody that wouldn't bend, that defended our good name and our people, which he did. There are lots of good Jews that I've come to know, yourself included, that I think are going to have to ask some very hard questions of themselves over the coming days, weeks, and months. And what is that question? The question is, is it the right time now to come home? People tell me, and I got this all the time in New York, we're waiting for Moshiach. And Esther, alayhi shalom, gave me the appropriate response to people like that. And what is it? Maybe he's waiting for us. And coming home now, I think, is imperative. The galut, especially in America, was good for a while. It was okay. But it's... You're an American from Texas. You got it. Yeah. But... um, Y'all got to come home now, here. <laughs> y'all got to come home. That's what they say in Galveston? Yeah, y'all, y'all have to come home now. Actually, it's, I hate to keep telling funny stories. It wrecks the whole thing. My wife, Rivka, comes from Birmingham. I said, Alabama? And she said, no, England. <laughs> you thought nobody, you had a southerner nobody, there. <laughs> nobody comes from Birmingham, Alabama. I mean, British friends of mine from London or Manchester say, where? Okay. And she has a very peculiar accent. And when she gets on a roll, I really, I honestly, I, which is good for a husband. Yeah, sometimes I it's better, I just say, right? yes, yes, dear, and that's it. You know, I don't know what she's asking. So I said to her, look, let me explain how I used to talk. And it's taken me 40 years almost to, to, to lose the accent. <laughs> so I went through it, and she just looked at me and said, my Lord. 
you've lost about 100 IQ points in my life. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, all right. Come to Texas, and you'll see how much lower it can be. Um, but just in conclusion is, is seriousness. Um, it's time to come home. When this kind of brutal anti-Semitism is now mainstream and is not being opposed um, by anybody, the police, um, government, government, academia, nobody. It's like accepted. It's mainstream. That's when you know, you know, you don't want to wait until it's crystal clear. If we know anything from Jewish history. If we know anything from Jewish history, it's that the, the trials and tribulations of our past in Galut are embedded in our genes. Even as estranged as we might be from Judaism and from the Am, it's still there. The Pintele Yid still has that. And you have to listen to it because it may mean your life. It may mean your life. So learn from history and pack up rationally, carefully, slowly, and come home. This is home where they may not like you, but it won't be because you're Jewish. (laughs) (laughs) Jonathan Pollard, I can't thank you enough. My pleasure. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. My thanks to Jonathan Pollard. My thanks to all of you. Plenty coming up here. We're a little bit behind schedule, but we'll catch up at some point. Plenty coming up on a Thursday as we always say no need to touch that dial when you're listening to the NSN network. Tomorrow morning, plenty more, including our weekly update. And of course, Rabbi Yudin and uh, Harry Rothenberg on Parsha's Vayigash. And tomorrow's a fast day. Keep that in mind. We'll be in Jerusalem, literally broadcasting until Shabbos begins. Make sure to be tuned in. Have a fabulous Thursday. Till tomorrow, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.